When it comes to weight loss, no two people are the same. That's why Noom builds personalized plans based on your unique psychology and biology. Take Brittany. After years of unsustainable diets, Noom helped her lose 20 pounds and keep it off. I was definitely in a yo-yo cycle for years of just losing weight, gaining weight, and it was exhausting. And Stephanie. She's a former D1 athlete who knew she couldn't out-train her diet, and she lost 38 pounds. My relationship to food before Noom was never consistent. And Evan, he can't stand salads, but he still lost 50 pounds with Noom. I never really was a salad guy. That's just not who I am. Even through the pickiness, Noom taught me that building better habits builds a healthier lifestyle. I'm not doing this to get to a number. I'm doing this to feel better. Get your personalized plan today at Noom.com. Real Noom users compensated to provide their story. In four weeks, the typical Noom user can expect to lose one to two pounds per week. Individual results may vary. Welcome to Nightlight, a horror movie podcast. I'm one of your hosts, Prince, also known as Head Knight. And alongside me, I have David. Spoopy boys. Also known as Nightlight. And other, we got Freddy. Always keeping it spoopy. Also known as Nighty Night. We are a group of knights with an absolute love for film and a passion for horror. This is a podcast that takes a different horror film to break down and discuss the ultimate question. Why horror? So hit the lights, sit back, and let the darkness envelope you. You can support the show over at patreon.com forward slash goodnightlife. And that's like with a what? K. By pledging on Patreon, you have access to the show ad-free and early as Monday. If you don't have any bucks to toss, don't worry. An episode is released every Friday on most podcast services around the world. Now, for our feature film for the evening. I'm very excited to talk about this one, everybody. <laughs> I'm very excited <laughs> to talk about this one. We are talking about 10 Cloverfield Lane. Wow. Four. Before I get into that, before we start talking, this is for a brand new month, everyone. This is for our Isolation Horror Month. We decided not to do Christmas movies this time. I mean, I hope you guys had a happy holidays with your family over Thanksgiving and all that great stuff. But now we're switching gears to winter, you know, full blown. But we're not doing Christmas movies this year. We, we did that last year and we, we had a blast doing it, but we want to switch it up a little bit. But when we think of snow and when we think of Christmas for some odd reason, we think of isolation and being alone because COVID-19 is a son of a bitch. But we are talking isolation horror this month. Dubbed. I, got, I, I came up with a fun name. For this one, let, let me let me bring this name up because I'm I'm blanking out on it, but I remember it was fun. So let me bring this name up because I want to I want to tell you guys that I am very proud because this is called No One Can Hear You. That's love right. it, love it, love it, love very it. Very proud of that. Very proud terrifies of that. Thank me. You. Spoops Thank you. me. Yes, some would say. Spoops. Yeah, spoops. Yeah. Reminds me of now, alien. first and foremost, gentlemen. Ooh, yeah. True that. True that. First and foremost, gentlemen. Thoughts. Uh, Boy. Boy, boy, Ooh. boy, boy, boy. I kind of want David to go first. <laughs> boy, was I spooked going into this month alone? I don't, oh. I don't handle isolation. I don't handle abduction. <laughs> I don't handle kidna- kidnapping well. And boy, was I spooked to even try. Now, Ooh. I should preface: I've never seen Cloverfield. I've never seen Ten Cloverfield Lane. I have seen the Flintstones movie. <laughs> I use that a lot to cope. 
<laughs> but boy, was this a good abduction isolation film. And I think if you are someone out there like me, where you are afraid of death of kidnappers, murderers, abductors, you being abducted. Hopefully you're afraid of murderers. <laughs> I mean, yeah, yeah. I mean, it's true. A lot, a lot, a lot of people are more afraid of the paranormal, right? I am of that's fair. That's I am of fair. the mind of I am more scared of a human being. So I don't handle movies like this very well. I have fair to enough. say, I enjoyed myself very much. Hell yeah! The Hell pacing yeah, of this is. is so great. It. You know, it kind of felt video game-esque at a point. I, I got a lot of Fallout vibes, especially when we get towards oh, the, yeah. the later part of the movies. And that coincided with me very well. Um, but I think this is very accessible. I think this is um, an abduction film where it doesn't make you feel nasty. It doesn't make you feel dirty. Um, you are very much intrigued to ask questions, which is something that many listeners would always find me saying. <laughs> Um, I love asking questions in films and I love finding what those answers are later on. Um, I love trying to piece together the puzzle pieces of the mystery of what's happening. Slightly got cut off on us on this end, David. Oh, sorry. I think on my end it's good. Hopefully, so David, I'm, I'm just going to tell you, uh, if you can hear me. I can hear you. Go ahead and stop talking. And Freddie, you go ahead and jump in and give your thoughts. Absolutely. Um, I'm really happy that David saw this for the first time because I wish I could see this for the first time again. Because this movie is fucking phenomenal. I love this movie so much. <laughs> and this is coming from someone who loved Cloverfield, which is a completely different movie. And they did this great marketing campaign of me going into the movies, not knowing that this movie was going to come out. And I saw a trailer for it. And it's like, oh, it's out next month. I was like, what? Mm. When did this come out? Like, what? <laughs> and it was a great marketing scheme. Yeah, that shit hit us by, by surprise, dude. I was like, that was amazing. They made this movie in secret, which I absolutely love. And I just, uh, I, I can't believe they made something so well because it's different from the first movie, obviously. And it keeps like the viewer keep on guessing. You never know what's about to happen. It's one of those movies yeah. where it's like, you don't know if he's telling the truth or she's right. He's wrong. He's right. She's wrong. So mm -hmm. it's one of those movies like I love. I love the suspense and what David just said too. The, the pacing of this movie worked really, really well. Perfect. And of course they throw that screwball at the very end. And I'm just like, hell yeah. Why the fuck not? And even what she says, which we'll talk about, I was like, that's exactly what I would say. It's like, really? <laughs> yeah. It's so great. And I gotta say, oh man. The directing, acting, and editing of this movie is fucking on point as well. I have to say. It's oh, yeah. really well done. Well shot. Oh yeah. From the very beginning yeah. of the scene opening to like the end. So I agree. can't give it enough praise. Absolutely. I, I definitely agree. Uh, David, it seems like you, you're back in. Are, are you able to uh, hear us? Test, test. Can you guys hear me? Can hear you perfectly, my friend. Cool. Thank you. If you don't mind finishing your thought for us, please. Yeah, I just wanted to wrap it up by saying I think those that have a fear of the realistic when it comes to things of this subject matter, I think this is a very accessible movie that yeah. does it in an enjoyable way. It doesn't make you constantly have this sense of dread and anxiety um right it's a it's a great almost adventure thriller like i see this as an adventure even though we're in a in the same setting for uh, a majority of the film and i yeah. think the payoff throughout this film is very satisfying i agree with oh. everything that freddie said um, absolutely great points absolutely i 
And I'm gonna have to agree with both of you. Like I, I remember this was actually I, I haven't had the opportunity to rewatch this too often. This will be my third time watching this film. And I'm right there with Freddie. When I saw this trailer, I was like, first and foremost, I was like, what is this? Like it's showing a whole bunch of shit about Paris. And I was like, what the fuck? What what is this movie? Like this this seems weird. And then it pops up with 10 Cloverfield Lane. And it says it was out the next month. And I was like, oh, shit, I need to see this. I, I, I need to see this. Like, I, I, I just I, all I could think was like, I, I need to drop everything and watch this movie. And I ended up seeing it with um, my wife and her close friend, um, Jenny. And it was uh, it was quite the experience. I will have to say I loved watching this in theaters. This was such a blast. So much fun. Completely not what I expected. And I, I absolutely loved every moment of that. And I agree with both of you. The pacing is perfect for this movie. It's fantastically well mm-hmm. done. And I'm so surprised that Dan Trachenberg hasn't really directed much. Like, this was like this was actually his first and only full full featured film. Really? Wow. And all, all the rest were shorts or a TV show, which he does one of my favorite episodes from Black Mirror, Playtest. He mm. directed that episode. Love that episode, but um, he also directed um, an episode of uh, uh, The Boys as well. Oh, sick! And yeah. season one. That's right. Yeah. That's right. I remember so, that. Yeah. So like he he has a a fantastic little record. It's just I wish he would do another full full featured film, and I hopefully he does one soon because I would love to see him get get on that immediately. But man. I, I'm just super excited to talk about this movie. So let's just jump into this bad boy. <laughs> let's do it. Ooh, 10 Cloverfield Lane, directed by Dan Trachenberg, released on March 11, 2016, a runtime of one hour and 46 minute, minutes, a budget of $13 million in a box office. Brace yourself, every single one of you. $110.2 wow. million. Dollars. Now, you might be thinking, sure, they did well, but that's not that great. That's huge. Well, let's think about it. First of all, yes, it is huge. But let's think about it. They did this was only one trailer that was released a month before the movie came out. That yeah. is all the time they had to get people excited for this movie. People were and hyped off Cloverfield, <laughs> yes. right? You know, I mean, what, what Cloverfield came out in what in the late two thousands, something like that, or, or early two thousand tens. Freddie's looking that up for us. I'm not sure because I haven't seen it, but you know yeah. what's interesting? I, I'm actually very appreciative that I have never seen Cloverfield. I don't really know what Cloverfield's about. And I feel like I'm sure a lot of people have experienced this familiar situation that I'm about to bring up. But I think I have a very unique opportunity to watch 10 Cloverfield Lane first and then go back and watch Cloverfield because yeah, I had so many questions towards the end. I was like, <laughs> This makes me want to watch Cloverfield when I never really had an interest to yeah. before. Have you seen Godzilla? Um, bits and pieces when I was very young, but nothing sure. that I could coherently remember. Initially, it's it's those creatures. They're called kaijus. Yeah, it's a kaiju film. Yeah, it's a kaiju film. Damn, yeah. I'm I'm down. It's it's awesome. It's yeah, really they're, they're fun. Really good. Yeah, they're fun. I mean, Pacific Rim, King Kong, Godzilla, the new one. Uh, all of them initially fallen realms of this. Even A Quiet Place almost did that as well. Mm. They almost considered A Quiet Place a kaiju film, but they changed the creatures. Super fascinating. Can't Dude, wait to I'm check so it out. Into this. So into this. 
A rating of 90% on Rotten Tomatoes. God damn. Damn. We open to our protagonist, Michelle's, inside of her apartment as the camera slowly moves and pans across the room, showing off some of her sketches in a picture of her and her fiancé, ex-fiancé, on top dresser. The photo falls over uh, because she has rapidly taken out clothes from the drawer. She continues ripping clothes off the wires and gathers the rest of her stuff, shoving it into a suitcase. Once she is done, she looks at her phone with anxious concern on her face. She grabs her phone to speak with someone, but we can't hear her. Who do you think she was speaking with? Her mom? Probably her mom. Yeah, maybe. Maybe her mom. Maybe her mom. Um, Because she was, she she was, seemed like she was more frantic and. Yeah. That'd be a fair bet. Fair bet. Yeah, seems, seems like her mom. Fair bet. Um, and just uh, all we can hear is just the booming sound of this magnificent score, dude. The score, dude. wow. The score I overall. Love the score. God. I mean, I feel like when it comes to the three of us, Freddie's really the one that capitalizes on, um, you know, the score. catching the sound. When there's a yeah. really good score in a film, and just really being dude. able to beautifully describe it. But it had me. This score. Yeah, it had me throughout the film just going like, wow, like this is this is giving me a certain type of energy that I think is being conveyed perfectly through the music. Absolutely, absolutely. You know who did the score? Tell me. So the person who made the score is the exact same person who did the score for God of War. Oh, wow. okay. I can see that. <laughs> I can see that. Wow. So, Dude. Speaking about the the score right now, because we're talking about it, I really love this score in this movie so fucking much because it changes, but at the same time, it's the same type of sounds, but it actually amplifies the emotion in the scene. Like, it's not just there for, like, regular score of, like, a scary or suspenseful movie, but it really touches upon what the character is feeling, uh, specifically with Mary acting her ass off in this movie in these great moments. And the score, you just oh, you, oh, you, you mean, feel uh, it. Mary Elizabeth Winstead, exactly. Yeah, yeah um, she, damn dude, she nailed this. She she nailed this role very very much, but the score just amplifies her performance. You can definitely feel what she's feeling because of the score and what you see on screen. So they did such yeah. a good job with that. So applause for that person. Nailed it. Nailed it. The conversation doesn't seem to be going well and slightly well. I don't know. She seems like she's. Holding back tears. Um, And she ends the call um, while holding back her tears. She Mm -hmm. walks off, grabs a drink from the counter, closing the door in the apartment, leaving both keys and an engagement ring. And I love how this just tells a complete story right off the bat. For sure. It's like, cool, relationship didn't work. Um, But as we come later down to know, there was probably some more abusive things going on in that relationship. For sure. What's up, Freddie? No, I was saying, like, it also shows that she's a clothes designer as well by going quickly right. over her sketches her and stuff sketches like that. And, and so on and so forth. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Absolutely. Absolutely. It shows that she has aspirations. Mm-hmm. Following Michelle driving down the highway with tears in her eyes, but she continues. Stopping to get gas, a truck pulls in front of her and she suspiciously watches it while fi- uh, finishing her finishing her pump. That sounds weird. I wrote that very strangely. She continues on her way through the darkened road at night. Her phone starts to ring, and it's Ben calling her. She answers the phone, and Ben immediately calls out for uh, for her to not hang up. He asks for her to just talk to him, and that he can't believe that she just left. That's like kind of right off the bat, just sending off red flags. Where yeah. it's just like, ah, dude, you must have done something fucked up. Mm-hmm. <laughs> like, for her to just dip out on you like that. You must have done something fucked up. Michelle is silent. 
while he tells her to come back and say something. She doesn't say anything, but her her eyes are misted with tears as Ben continues. He tells her that they had an argument and couples fight, but that that is no reason to leave everything behind. Ben is trying to still ta- is trying to talk to her still, but she hangs up on him then turns the radio on. The person on the radio is talking about this widespread blackout that is going on in southern cities while the problem is being linked to a catastrophic power surge which has crippled traffic in the surrounding areas. And I just absolutely adore this. because It would have been cool if they would have said eastern cities because that would have been a complete tie to Cloverfield. Uh, Cloverfield. Right. But that's fine. This still worked out really, really great because um, it made more sense because she's coming from the south. Right. So that makes more sense. But uh, Ben calls again, but she doesn't have time to decide on her next move because she is hit fucking horribly, <laughs> causing her car to roll off the side of the road. Dude, this was brutal. It was so harsh. So I don't, damn, was this beautifully done. I need to add. <laughs> yeah, it was because um, – <laughs> You really feel the motion, right, when she's yes. in the car and the way the camera's working along with it. Um, and on top of that, how it stops just to show, like, pieces of the production company and then right. the title. Oh, <laughs> yeah. When that oh, happened. chills thinking about it. It's, oh, my God. It's, it's so funny, right, because it's so simple. It's just a, a title sequence. But, man, did it make me feel a certain way? I, I Dude, What a code open. <laughs> I feel like, yeah, it, it made me feel like the production value for this is going to be high just from that title alone. Yeah. The way it was just seamlessly just put in there absolutely oh man love it we cut to michelle waking up from uh uh, from her being passed out she looks down at her arm attached to an iv she then starts to look around the room and realizes that her leg is chained up to a pipe trying to frantically get it off she looks at the door and notices her things are on the other side of the room ripping off the iv she tries getting her uh getting to her things but the cuff on the pipe is holding her in place. Michelle goes back to the contraption of, on her knee while sobbing, saying um, saying no uh, repeatedly from her predicament. She gives up on this contraption, cries for a bit, and looks around to think. And she is quite the thinker. Like, legit, she's she knows her shit. Like, she, she's like yeah. Jimmy Neutron or something. She's a like, problem she's solver. Like, she loves it. Blast. Yeah, she absolutely problem solves. And I, I, I'm curious to see her resume. What I appreciate about this <laughs> moment and us um, having a conversation about it now is later on in yeah. the film, we kind of get some background context of why she's kind of so alert in a situation like that. Right. Um, mm. So I, I like to correlate those two together. Absolutely. Yeah. Absolutely. Good call, too. Good um, call. Talking about like John Goodman, who's about to come up in this scene. Uh, there's a lot of stuff that you can contrast between these two characters of being prepared for stuff. One's like a oh, yeah. they're, complete survivalist they're that has everything planned alike. out. But at the same time, yeah. she's a survivalist, too, and plans it on like on a whim, which is not really right. like she's him. survivalist on the fly. On the fly, versus, which is great. Versus him being a planner. Right. right. Like if some if something goes wrong initially, he has to have a plan to do X, Y, Z in order uh, to do it when she kind of goes through the whole alphabet in just a matter of minutes right. or seconds even. Because she's always in defense mode. She has a really good defense mechanism of just thinking stuff on the fly. And it really reminded me of the movie uh, You're Next. And I was like, oh, man, here's another strong female uh, character yeah. who just like I is badass and it's just so good. So good. Yeah. Yeah, which which is great. I mean, we'll 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 do your next eventually for sure. Um, 
She grabs the IV rod, trying to use that to grab her phone on top of her clothes, making everything fall. She is able to get her phone, but the screen is shattered, showcasing her without any service. Holding her phone up, she is still not able to gather any service around her. She hears a door closing and footsteps coming near her. She is immediately grabs her blanket to cover herself in anticipation to who is coming into the room. A man by the name of Howard comes into the room with with a gun on his holster, sitting uh, sitting some food on a tray down on the ground john goodman man he is scary yeah he's scary in this <laughs> he's scary like very intimidating in this i mean some may find my um my joke a little corny earlier about the flintstones but i really use that to cope because of how creepy he is in this film yeah no i mean that's fair like seriously is really really fair but so corny. So, yeah, I love it. <laughs> <laughs> I, w- I would say Monsters Inc. <laughs> yeah, I was thinking uh, that too. Michelle starts to plead for, uh, for him to not hurt her while holding her hands up. He grabs the IV and she continues asking him to let her go. Howard ignores her, telling her that she needs fluids because she was in shock. She asks him, "What is he going to do to her?" Looking down at her, he bluntly tells her that he's going to keep her alive, then takes the IV out of the room, bringing back uh, and crutches. He tells her to work on her, work on using them while placing them next to her. Shedding a single tear, she tells him that her boyfriend was expecting her and that he will call the cops looking for her. He apologizes, telling her that nobody is going to come looking for her, then throws the cuff to her, uh, to her, uh, or excuse me, throws the key to her cuffing on the bed. She immediately takes it, working off the cuff to free her leg, grabbing the crutches that are on the ground beside her. Uh, a Michelle puts on puts her clothes on quickly, uh, or in the quickest way she can, and tries uh, for the door, but it won't budge. She thinks about what to do next, taking the cap off off the end of the crutch, revealing a sharp wooden edge. She takes the key to the cuff to sharpen the edge further. Once sharp, the uh, she breathes heavily while waiting f- on the other side for Howard to come back, readying the crutch turned weapon. This and is once again, yeah. She's, this, she's just she's great. This is satisfying like, so because good. there so are savage. many moment. Excuse me. There are many moments in films where I want our person in distress to kind of think on their feet a lot more. Um, mm-hmm. And it was satisfying to see someone in the situation that. I feel like I would act similarly to. I know a lot of people like mm-hmm. to say if I were in a situation, I would just take care of it, blah, 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 right? I would like to think that I am a type of person that uh, would not cower, but try to be solution-oriented, no matter how futile it is. Uh, so mm-hmm. it was very satisfying to see this young woman just really be prepared, doing what she can, using the resources around her, Um it was a nice change of pace because in abduction films, I feel like we don't see that until very late into the film. Mm-hmm. So going off of that in the beginning was already extremely satisfying. Absolutely. Absolutely. Um, and I also do like the fact that she is kind of taken serious. Like, like it, it's funny because mm-hmm. when we meet Emmett compared to her of how like Emmett initially tried to get there rather her being abducted into into there it, it's very interesting seeing their type of correlation i guess especially when it comes to how they react in those situations mm-hmm. so it, it's very 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 intriguing although Emmett's also really smart as well oh super yeah yeah i'd like to say like her character also reminds me of a movie i saw earlier this year 
And I think you've seen the alone? prince alone. Yes, yes. I'm happy you brought that up. Yeah. But it's like <laughs> it's like right when he leaves the room, I'm gonna quickly think about how to get out get out of here essentially. Yeah. And alone's fucking rad. It's so good. I love the ending. <laughs> the ending is bonkers oh and it's so crazy. Alone's rad. If you guys haven't checked that out, you guys should definitely check that out. Uh, uh, yeah. But I love the definitely. filmmaking in this part too, because when she sharpens it, the show's kind of like um, the wood on the ground. It cuts to that. And then it cuts right. to her like, like holding it. Yeah. They show the shavings. Mm-hmm. They see her against the wall waiting for him to come back. It, it's, it's well shot. And it's also like so bringing it back to the score. You're anticipating for something to happen and we'll talk about it. But essentially it's the first time this movie kind of blindsides. us. It's like, Nope, hold on. This is not what's really going to happen right now. This is going to happen. Right. So I did like yeah. this setup as well. So, yeah, Absolutely. great. And it's great because someone like David coming in with zero acknowledgement of the previous film, not really knowing to truly expect. This was a beautiful surprise for both parties, right? Because we have the one side who knows that Cloverfield is a kaiju movie. And then we get this movie. And we're just like, there's no kaijus here. What's going on? <laughs> and for David, just to have it just completely no correlation of this being a kaiju movie and just it's just like like whoa what what's happening like what what is going on so it's great because it works both very very well for both uh, parties initially which is fantastic yeah those are my favorite opportunities when we are able to come in with those two separate pers- perspectives yeah, of someone right. not seeing it usually me and the other party seeing it um i think it creates this really cool dynamic so absolutely love it. but he doesn't come in right away he uh, and she lets out a sigh, but then hears uh, air from an air conditioner unit turn on. She gets an idea to open the vent, take a match, lighting her clothes on fire, then sticking that sticking them into the vent. She's fucking crafty, dog. Yeah. Michelle goes back into position while the room begins to fill up with smoke, causing her to cough. The fire alarm starts to sound off, and you can hear Howard stomping down the hallway towards the room. Michelle readies her weapon once again, and Howard bursts through the door. She strikes him, but he is still able to overpower her and inject a shot into her arm while she screams for help. Michelle awakes while hearing Howard clear his throat in the corner. He tells her that she, she has some fight in her while he rolls up his sleeves. He continues telling her that he respects that, but to not think, uh, but to not think about trying something like that again. Telling her that she she is lucky to even be where she where she is at all, and that his generosity only extends so far. He comes close closer towards her, handing her uh, toradol to help for her pain. Michelle pleads for him to let her go, and he calls her by her name, telling her that there is nowhere to go. Stunned by by him knowing her name, he continues telling her that he looked through her wallet, sharing that he thinks that is acceptable since he saved her life. She asks him, she asks him what he means. Howard tells her that he found her and saved her, saved her life by bringing her uh, there with him. But she still doesn't understand. Howard grabs a chair closer to sit down in front of her. He tells her that there has been an attack, but she is still confused. So he continues telling her that it it was a big attack, but he isn't sure if it is chemical or nuclear, but, they, but they're safe down here. She, she asks him where they are exactly. He tells her that they are underneath his farmhouse, 40 miles outside of Lake Charles. Confused, Michelle tells him that she was driving north from there, but he continues telling her that she was in an accident. 
As Howard is about to go on to tell her about an, about her accident, he slightly starts to become impatient, repeating that he saved her life and that he continu- that he couldn't just leave her there. Definitely freaked out by this large, scary stranger, she shudders while thanking him for, for saving her life and recommending that she should go to a hospital. She's trying to, like, fake it, right? And she's like, like, yeah, you're right. Thanks for saving my life. I should go to a hospital now. She's very intelligent. She knows how to think <laughs> quick on her feet, and she's trying to get out of the situation in the, you know, in the least frictionous way as she can. Um, Absolutely. So, yeah, because she knows, like, like, okay, this dude obviously knows some shit that I don't know. Yeah. Right. And I appreciate that she's written in a way where she isn't easily tricked by, oh, thank you. There, there is no suspicion of me being locked in a room chained up, you know, Mm -hmm. as, as even though I am being medically treated, there is still a lot of red flags here. And I appreciate that. Absolutely. Absolutely. And I love Mary Elizabeth Winstead in horror in general. Um, I think this was her third horror film at this time. Uh, before that, she did Final Destination 3. Um, after that, she did Death Proof, um, Quentin Tarantino's film. And now this one, I believe. But she always knows how to play such an interesting um, array of different characters. Because each one of those are all different. Like Final Destination 3, she was a crybaby. Let's <laughs> just admit it. Um, and in uh, Death Proof, she was like a prancy cheerleader who was like all over the place and or maybe death proof came first anyway it doesn't matter um but in this like she was so resourceful and relentless and like you it, you felt safe around her for some reason because you felt like she would know what to do and that's pretty cool maybe that aids in my lack of anxiety of this film where that usually comes with thrillers that I don't enjoy. Like I have a lot of right. trouble watching films like this and I feel like it's because the protagonist can be so vulnerable and it, it right. can be really tough to watch. So I, and that's probably why I'm giving her so many props. Like I love, just like you said, Michelle is just prepared. She's in yeah. it to fight and she, uh, she doesn't give up. So dope. She doesn't, she, she really isn't doesn't. broken down. He cracks a slight smile but quickly loses it, telling her that she can't leave, continuing telling her that an attack means fallout, explaining that it's contaminants in the air above ground. She asks him how long do they have to wait until it is safe. He quickly and confidently shares that it depends on the proximity of the closest blast, maybe one or two years. Michelle gives him a skeptical look, but Howard continues saying that this is this is if they are talking about weapons that they already know of. Continuing saying that Russians are developing some nasty stuff. And if the Martians finally figured out a way to get there, then their weapons will be even more powerful. Uh, and it, it's funny because like now she gets a sense of like, okay, this dude might be a psychopath. Yeah. Um, so it's very interesting. He cracks a smile saying that he is luckily prepared for this while patting, while uh, patting and admiring his man-made bu- bunker. He's stoked. He's just like, I love my bunker. (laughs) (laughs) Michelle is staring at him and and softly agrees to his rant, telling him that she needs to use his phone to tell her family that she is safe there and to make sure they are okay. Howard tells her that they aren't okay in size. She asks him how, how she asks him, how does he know that he tells her that everyone outside of there is dead. Then she anxiously asks him if he has a family but then, but they are uh, interrupted by the sound of something crashing outside the room. Howard is irritated, and Michelle asks him, "Who is that?" Um, uh, and she's she's asking him like in a way like, like there's someone else here, like who who who's who's here with us, kind of thing. Not more so like 
scared yeah. or right. concerned. She's, she's it's just more so like someone else is here with us. Do they know I'm stuck in this room chained mm-hmm. up to this pipe? Mm-hmm. Like <laughs> She's trying to gather information. She's accessing. Right. And, uh, exactly. It's, she, again, right. She's prepared. Maybe sees it as another, uh, yeah, exactly what you just said. She wants to see if it's another resource she can use to possibly escape. For sure. hundred exactly. percent. He irritatedly excuses himself and walks out of the room without shutting the door behind him. Michelle is trying to look behind, uh, beyond the door, but only can, sees the cans of food stacked up. And Howard yelling, quote, what did you do? Mm-hmm. End quote. At someone. Then loud thudding and indistinct shouting. But then Howard comes back into the room, grabbing his first aid kit. He angrily tells Michelle that he is going to tell her what he told him. You need to, quote, you need to eat. You need to sleep and you need to start showing me a little bit of appreciation, end quote. He then grabs his chair, um, walking out of the door, but introduces himself to, to her before shutting the door. My name's Howard, by the way. Door shut. <laughs> so I, uh-huh. I want to comment on that because, uh-huh. I mean, with his statement of it'd be nice if you show me some appreciation, right? You can kind of gather what type of person he could be from the energy that he's demonstrating you can absolutely he kind of seems like a creep or like a perv or something right or he's really into himself and he thinks that he's this white knight right and she owes him something right but at the same time he saved her life quote unquote exactly but at the same time when he is closing the door and he mentions my name is howard by the way i think that also shows this kind of uh, selfishness that he thinks Michelle has because mm-hmm. in his mind in reality after we had those perceived notions of what he's like it kind of reflects back on Howard thinking Michelle's very selfish she didn't even ask what my name was right and it kind of leads you to be confused about what type of person Howard really is I think mm-hmm. for me at least at that point I'm like wait is this guy just like maybe on the spectrum and he's actually doing a good thing or is he actually just a weirdo and a creep, right? Um, right. So I I appreciate that written dialogue there. Absolutely, and that that actually makes so much sense right. of her initially being in that predicament of where, yeah, she never asked who are you to her accuser, yeah. which can which for us, if we in hindsight really think about it, is a little odd. Because of uh, we're used to films doing that. We're used to yeah. the first thing being, "Who are you?" Yeah. To whoever their protagonist or their antagonist is, and it, it's it's interesting that they decided to not add that in this film. So I, I think that's very fascinating. Yeah, it further shows that Michelle is a different type of protagonist, right? Because Absolutely. it's she's not going for the safe bets of what that character looks like. She's mm. really kind of switching things up. Right. Like, because in, in all honesty, she didn't give a shit who he was. She just knew she right. wanted to get away from there. Exactly. She only cared about the, the main things that would actually help her out. She doesn't care who the person exactly. is itself. Like, she knows yeah, her she situation. But I think, David, you're 100% correct. I feel like his way of, like, closing that door is like, yeah, my name's Howard, by the way. It was him saying, like, you didn't even ask for my name. I deserve more respect. I think yeah, that's exactly. exactly what happened. And I gotta say, Absolutely. the sound design, too, of that door closing, man, it's chilling. Terrifying. You just hear that slam, Terrifying. and then you just hear the lock really loud. Terrifying. So a good yeah. sound mix. Well, it reminds me of Saw. Yeah. Oh, yeah. The ending. Oh. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Reminds me of Saw. One more we comment. Could... Sorry. Oh, before we move no, on. No, no, you're fine. Um, I just wanted to add 
Oh man, I'm sorry. I lost my thought. Please continue. <laughs> no worries. If you if you have it pop back up, just cut me off. I will. Uh, we cut to Michelle asleep, but woken up by the sound of a car driving above her. Her eyes follow the sound over the ceiling and vent. Then she realizes that the door is open with music filling up the halls. Michelle is walking down the hallway, but she is startled by Emmett sleeping in a corner. He wakes up startled, trying to get his things together, telling her that he didn't mean to scare her. He asks he ask her if she is hungry and offers her goldfish, but she just looks at him with shock and confusion. He asks her how she is doing and if she is okay. Michelle asks him, what is this? He tells her that this is a bunker and that her room is a bit of a fixer-upper, but jokes that she at least has a door. And I... Actually, was slightly confused when she would chat with Emmett sometimes because she she felt like she can trust him more when she also doesn't know him. Yeah, and maybe it might be the fact that he's smaller, uh, but at the same time, she just felt like he was more trustworthy. He I has think, a very and, kind face, right? And, he does, he and d- which is which is interesting because we this is the same dude who was the antagonist in Hush. Yeah, that's true. It's like so crazy. It's interesting how this dude's good. Yeah, he is. He is. I think what I mean. Let's be real. Like she, she sees that there's another prisoner there, and right. she f- may assume that he has been kidnapped as well. Exactly. Uh, she sees that he's hurt. It's very interesting. I don't know why I had this preconceived notion, but um, with this film, I thought everything was fake. Like I thought everything that was happening above ground was all a facade. I thought Emmett was in on it, working with Howard. Um, even later on, the woman that we see on the surface, I thought she was in on it. Um, I was oh, very, That's I was very skeptical, right, to uh, think that Howard was trying to create this um, this false, dangerous world so Michelle can be locked down there with him. Um, but I was very hesitant on trusting Emmett when we were introduced to him. Interesting. I would say this. I think. I mean, I, I was too shit okay, for cool, her. I think she trusted Emmett because of how Howard treated him when she was like locked in the room with like he was yelling at him. So I feel oh. like he already assumed that it was like, oh, this is another person that's down here with me. Let me just interact and learn more about him. I that feel a like good point. she doesn't see him as a threat at all because of how Howard treated him. That's yeah. how I took it. Yeah, that makes sense. I feel like for me, if I was in that predicament, I would be like, nah, fuck this dude. This might be his son. Yeah, like, uh, I, I thought the same thing. I was like, there there has to be some correlation between the two here because one, he's not in a room locked up, right? Right. Um, so I had the same thoughts, Prince. Yeah. Anyway. She asked him how long has he been down there and he and he thinks that he has been down there for a couple of days but isn't quite sure because it is hard to tell without windows and sunlight. Michelle gets cl- – I would go every day to that stairwell yeah. and look out the window. I was, what time I was thinking anyway. the exact same thing when I was watching. <laughs> yeah, that's how I would count my days. Uh, she asked him how long has um, – oh, excuse me. Michelle gets closer to Emmett and whispers, how do we get out of here? Emmett drops his smile and tells her that getting out of there is the last thing that they want to do because the air is contaminated. Howard startles them. Michelle asks Howard what's wrong with Emmett, and he tells her that Emmett did that to himself. He continues telling her that that the sound that she heard earlier was Emmett knocking over a whole week's worth of food, then sternly tells him that he is sorry for that. <laughs> Emmett looks at him and agrees that he that he is, then looks at Michelle with a slight tinge of concern. Howard tells uh, tells 
excuse me, Howard uh, then turns to Michelle and calmly tells her that uh, it is bathroom time and to follow him. Um, they walk into a room and Howard tells her that that this is the common area and that she that he has planned for a long stay. Which he definitely has. It yeah. looks better than most apartments in there. Mm-hmm. He goes on to tell her how the air continu- how the air continues to stay fresh down there and then continues int- introducing her to the surrounding area of the room while the camera follows along. And this just looks beautiful. That spiral 360 shot. It, it's just the camera work in this movie is just so phenomenally done. I have to agree with you. So phenomenally done. Damn. Yeah. And it continues. Oh, go ahead. Sorry. What I was going to mention was it's not overbearing, right? It's not distracting. Um, A lot of people might not even mention it, but it's still over, over, overall enhances the the way the story is being demonstrated and shown. I agree. Right. Absolutely. He continues saying that that the kitchen is fully functional and talks about being careful around the table, uh, which is a family heirloom. Michelle almost falls while while moving. Excuse me. Michelle almost falls while moving closer and deeper into the room, and Emmett catches her. Howard yells for him to keep his hands to himself and ask if he understands, then tells him to sit down. Further mm-hmm. letting us know how the fuck Howard gets down. Yeah. Emmett follows his instruction, and Howard turns his, his attention back towards Michelle, directing her towards the bathroom. She hobbles past him, and he tells her that this is, this is his private space and to not go into this room unless permitted. He tells her to go to the bathroom, and, she tells her, and, and he tells her that she will need to – or excuse me. He tells her to go to the bathroom, but she tells him that she doesn't need to go, and he's like, you will. And uh, th- that he has to pace these things out. Michelle tells him that she needs privacy, and he and he lets her know uh, that she uh, is welcome to close the curtain. <laughs> oh man, I know. She continues letting him know. Uh, she continues telling him that she can't go while he is standing there. He rebuttals, letting her know that he can't trust her on burning this place down, and that it is his safety as well. Impatient. He, he lets her know that he isn't a pervert and to just go already. And I love that notion because it it has us as an audience think like, well, yeah, he's right. I mean, you did kind of set a fire into inside of this bunker mm-hmm. and you did initially attack him. So, yeah, in a way, I don't blame him. I think that's what's that. Uh, fantastic about this film is there's a the sense of gaslighting that you're not even sure is gaslighting right so right. the the audience themselves are being gaslit and you don't even know it because you're led to believe like yes michelle is abducted she's in danger you know we found her in her underwear locked in a room chained up but at the same time there's a lot of things that howard does to show that like i'm trying to help you you're you're not i'm not gonna abuse you um, but at the same time, you still question it, right? Well, rightfully so. Um, but when Howard speaks to her in these moments, it very much seems like Michelle is the crazy one. Um, mm-hmm. So it's very interesting when you look at those dynamics, right? Um, Absolutely. Yeah. yeah. I have to yeah. agree with what David was just saying right now is that this movie is really well written. Like even the dialogue, what they say, what they do um, – it it really throws the characters 
off of what they think inside their own heads, but it also throws like the viewer off of what they think inside this movie itself of where it's going and not knowing who to believe. It's like maybe she is wrong. Maybe he's right. Mm-hmm. And then vice versa. And that's the biggest thing. It's like we're always constantly checking on these like these cues that the movie's giving us to say like, oh mm-hmm. yeah, he's actually pretty accurate on that. Like, yeah, you just set a fire and he is trying to help you. But at the same time, there's a lot of red flags too of you being kidnapped. And right. this movie does a really great job of that, of the characters telling us a different story each, and we don't know which one to believe, which is great. And then we get Absolutely. different scenes later on in the movie that sway our choice of like, oh, she was right. Oh, no, he oh, was right. Good. It's like, oh, this is excellent. And then even like the whole thing about like bringing up the curtain of that's the first like clue of what may go on in the future too. Like everything was perfectly played out in this scene, which is very nice to see. Absolutely. Like everything looks Absolutely. like it's planned. Everything said in this movie had a purpose to either Absolutely. sway the like the viewer or something. So I find this movie mm-hmm. very very well done. Absolutely. And and also just even going back to what you said about what he says he he lets her know like you can use the curtain if you like, and it, it feels like it is an invitation to the ending of the film, right? Yeah, you it's, can use the curtain. Man. There you go. All right, so well done. She goes into the area, and we can see a book called "Surviving Doomsday" next to "The Call of the Wild" by Jack London. Michelle goes into the tub, into the tub slash toilet combo, which was interesting, and shuts the uh, curtain while scowling at him like a teenager at at her dad. <laughs> <laughs> Go to Howard in, kitchen, in, in the kitchen Telling Michelle to take a seat And asking if she is hungry She is looking down at some magazines on the side table Howard mentions that those be- belong to Megan And that she wouldn't go anywhere without them Michelle asks who that is And he tells her that uh, she is not with them anymore And super interesting how he says, says this But initially we learn later That it's because she was in Chicago initially And yeah. now everyone's dead um the power uh, slightly goes off and he tells her not to worry because it is just a generator she proclaims that uh it is possibly a car and he tells her that it is impossible michelle continues to let them know that they that she heard a car above her room earlier he uh tells her that if it was a car they are long dead by now she challenges him um letting them know that they should at least try to call the police or someone to find out what actually happened. He cuts her off, telling her that there isn't anyone left to call and points at the radio scanner on channel 16, telling her that there isn't anything coming through. She stares at the, at the radio for a moment and Howard deeply exhales uh, that she thinks he's crazy. He goes on about people wear helmets for bikes, seat belts for cars, alarm systems for their homes. But what do people actually do when those alarms go off? What a fucking line. Yeah, I really thought that was clever because he's right. And even if everyone that's watching this really reflects on that, what happens when your car alarm goes on? A lot of people just get annoyed, right? Right. Or it, it, it's, it's so interesting because it's just like he's yeah. speaking the truth. He is. Yeah. He is. Like, like, what do you do in that situation when all the shit happens? When the shit hits the fan, what do you do? And a lot of people only prepare or start trying to catch up to being prepared when the shit right. does hit the fan. So exactly. excellent point. Again, it's going on with that gaslighting. It, like you Absolutely. start questioning. It's like, is Howard the one right here? Like, should we be listening to him? Should he be leading us? Yeah. 
Absolutely. It's funny because even after this movie, I I did end up buying like an earthquake kit. Oh, wow. Because of it. Because I was just like, you know what? Like, yeah, I need one of those. Yeah, you, you got to be prepared. Yeah, I buy one every three years. Wow. Hmm. Yeah, it's a life expectancy for earthquake kit. I've never bought one before. You should you should definitely invest in one. Thing, I've, I've experienced a lot of earthquakes, but never bought yeah. an earthquake before. Yeah. <laughs> you definitely definitely should take one just to be on the safe side. But anyway, she doesn't answer him, so he continues to uh, he continues with crazy is building the ark after the flood has already come. David, buy an earthquake kit. <laughs> Howard tells her that this that it is time that she met Frank and Mildred while pointing towards a, a staircase. She walks up the stairs with um, towards a door with a small window on it, while Howard is behind her, twirling his keys. She slowly walks up the stairs to look outside the window. Howard unlocks the padlocks and opens the door to his makeshift airlock. She excitedly goes to the window and looks outside and notices the mutilated pigs. She covers her, she covers her mouth and gasps in shock, asking Howard what happened to them. He tells her that they weren't as lucky as her and blames it on the air, and that's what happens when you get exposed. Mm. She looks around a little more and notices a yellow truck that is sideswiped damages on the passenger door. We jump to a quick flashback with her phone ringing when she is when she was in in her car noticing the yellow truck swiping her. Back to reality, uh, when Howard starts knocking, saying that he keeps the door sealed at all times, allowing no one in or out. He locks it all back before before them heading downstairs. Cuts to Michelle back in her room or prison. Uh, Emmett comes in asking her that she that she must have met Frank and Mildred. He looks behind him to make sure that Howard isn't around and continues telling her that it is funny that the whole world ends and he is upset about some dead pigs. So he doesn't verbally acknowledge... Oh, go ahead. I just wanted to chime in really quickly. Earlier I had mentioned maybe this is all a facade. I had thought, what if Howard and Emmett killed those farm animals and just left them out there for whoever they do abduct to make them I mean, believe it? I mean, hey... It's quite, it's quite the, quite, quite the, the facade you you can, right. I mean, but it's not far fetched though, because I mean, you can definitely clearly say, yeah, the air is contaminated. I'm not going to let you out. Yeah. Well, what do you mean? Dude? I mean, if you think about it, Michelle later on still tries to escape after seeing that. So there's a part yeah. of her that thinks maybe this isn't real. Maybe it is, it is all it's set up. Right. She continues verbally acknowledging him, but he offers her a magazine and apologizes for, uh, uh, excuse me, and apologizes for already completing the quizzes. She takes the magazine and he sits next to her with his magazine in hand. He jokes about being able to do a French braid now. <laughs> That's quite the skill, actually. She doesn't laugh or comment on it, but ask Emmett uh, what he knows about Howard. And once again, she's prodding, right? She's she's poking for more information. He tells her that he was in the Navy working with satellites. She asks what kind of stuff, and, um, and he just repeats satellite stuff. I don't know. I don't work on satellites. <laughs> she asks about uh, what brought him out there. Emmett shares that Howard brought, uh, bought the property a while back, and he was hired uh, by him to help build this bunker. He jokes that the work was entertaining because Howard is a black belt in conspiracy theories. Michelle asks if he kidnapped him. He chuckles, telling her no, and that he was trying to get inside after she asked him ab- 
um, after she asked him about his arm, thinking it was from him trying to escape. He tells her that he watched Howard build this place for years, and he would always talk about these attacks, putting all his money into this bunker as if his life depended on it. She gets up. Uh, she gets up from the mattress, clarifying that Howard told him all of this while he uh, was building his shelter, and says that everyone is dead because of the air being contaminated. She cuts Emmett off by telling him that Howard abducted her by driving her off the road and dragging her here. She continues she continues letting him know that Howard is lying. Um, and I even put it here, I was like, why would you be so quick to trust Emmett? But anyway, that's just me. Emmett tells her that he saw, he saw the attack himself when he was on the way home from work. It looked like a bright red flash, like an explosion. He tells her that this wasn't like fireworks, but something biblical. She tries to gather clarification from him, but it comes out sarcastic. He tells her he tells her that he isn't explaining it right, but this wasn't this wasn't like anything he's ever seen he's ever seen, so he drove straight to the bunker. Uh, when he got there, Howard was closing the door to the shelter and he could see he could see it on his face. He knew something big was happening. So Emmett fought his way in. Man. Good shit. Crazy. Yeah. She tells him that she heard a car right above them, and Emmett questions her hearing someone telling her that that it is impossible because the air. Michelle cuts him off to complete what he is about to say. She, uh, she gets closer, asking him, "How does he know that?" Howard then comes into the room, answering, "Answering, quote, because I told him." Dinner is ready. <laughs> quote. Dude, he is so intimidating. He is. Cut to Michelle in the middle of the dinner table while Howard passes them plates of food, commenting on them getting along. They don't answer him, and he sits down trying to express a smile, but drops it because they aren't smiling back at him. And it seems very forced, right? Like, he, he he's definitely showcasing that, like, look, I could be nice, but at the same time, it's easier for him to just scowl. Mm-hmm. Like, it's so, so intriguing. I think he's disappointed that Emmett's there, because he was never part of the plan. Oh, yeah, of course. I think that's the oh, yeah, of course. He's, he's one hundred percent disappointed about him. Yeah, because he's very quick with Emmett. He doesn't. He doesn't like Emmett. Like, he is not a fan with him being there at all. Which is why he never gave him a room. <laughs> he. So wait, do you guys think that Michelle is already there? Yes. Okay. What do you mean? I do by think that? Uh, when he was closing I mean, the door, she was there before. Yeah, before Emmett came. Oh, she had to have been right. I think so. I hadn't thought about that. I had thought that Emmett had been there and then Michelle arrived. I think that just happened all in the same day. Interesting. Yeah, it's so it's too. or it's, same night, same night, I guess. Yeah, yeah, because I'm pretty sure because he was like closing doors like, no, I don't want to let you in. It's just me and this girl. That's it. And he fought his way in. He was not yeah. part of the I guess, plan. I guess that depends on how long she was out for some reason. And this is kind of silly now that I think about it. I thought she was out for close to a month for some reason, but that doesn't really make any sense. No, but I can say a few days yeah, no. because he, he said that he was only there for a few days. Emmett. You're right. You're right. Yeah. yeah. A couple of days. I would say it would probably be about a week of them actually being there. Yeah. Right. Um, but yeah, it's super, super intriguing on how Which I, this kind of plays off. I have to say, I do like that in the movie too. They never give us a time frame of how long they've been there too. But you can tell yeah. with her injury, it's not been healed yet, so it's not been that mm-hmm. long. But they've gone mm-hmm. through a lot of different days, for sure. But from the beginning of the movie to the end of the movie, maybe a month, and she's never fully recovered. Because she's off her crutches, yeah. but she's still limping at the end of the movie, too. Yeah, she is still limping towards the end. You're totally yeah. right. Mm-hmm. Yeah. 
Yeah. But it feels not, like so much longer. Not bad, longer. though. Yeah, not no, as no, bad no, as yeah. at the beginning. It's, it's yeah, good yeah. exposition. It's like, it hasn't been a long time, but I'm not going to tell you how long. It's great. Right. It gives us the same yeah. sense of the characters of not knowing how long it's been. So it puts us in the same mindset, which I fucking love. It's true. He opens the soda, pouring Michelle a glass, asking her how the sauce is after he after her taking a bite of spaghetti. He continues telling her that he is an okay cook and that Megan was a good cook, then coldly telling her while staring her in her face that you will learn to to love cooking. Ugh, that one scared me. Yeah, that one was that one was real real creepy. She turns her gaze towards him slightly. T- uh, she turns her gaze slightly towards him, but Emmett breaks the silent by moaning about the food being really good. Howard thinks he is making fun of him, but Emmett tells him that he is not. Then goes on to initially say that he is grateful for his hospitality, raising his glass with the with quote the best damn sauce I've ever yet ever had end quote. <laughs> Howard tells him that that's not a bad point, but to uh, watch his language at the table because Emmett's telling him like you know I could eat I could eat some shit in. in a hot steam pile of shit and it will taste good down here. Um, I'm just happy to be alive initially. And it's him trying to show his gratitude yeah. in the best way he can towards uh, him initially allowing him to stay here. Emmett agrees and then continues making small talk about tattoos. Michelle looks at Emmett and then looks at Howard with concern. Howard is not impressed with the conversation, but Michelle turns her attention back towards Emmett and lets out a slight little chuckle at his lament about tattoos. And dude, the look on Howard's face, man, like <laughs> he looks like he is about to pound this kid. Yep. It's Emmett terrifying. Asks Howard. It is. It really is. It's fucking scary. <laughs> Emmett asked Howard if there was anything that he regrets not doing before locking himself in a bunker. He tells Emmett that there isn't. Emmett questions him jokingly, asking no crazy nights in Vegas, uh, pilgrimage to Waco. Howard turns. Uh, Howard tells him everything he wanted to do, he did, focusing on being prepared, and he was. Now they are here. Emmett ignores the awkward answer and looks around the room, spotting Monopoly, telling them that uh, that's how they'll be able to kill time. But he is saying this while still slightly joking around with how long they are going to be stuck down there. Howard tells him to stop talking while breathing deeply, clenching his fist, um, or clenching, clenching and opening his fist back repeatedly. Michelle and Emmett nervously look at Howard. Howard tells him that he doesn't need to make bad make jokes about how long they're going to be down there when they don't know how truly long they're going to be down there. He continues telling Emmett that his humor is not funny and that he and Michelle don't appreciate it while they eat. Then ask for him to shut up and let them eat in peace. Dude. Such a great scene. It, it is. sets up it's uh, so intense. So much tension between the characters because I feel like when he was talking about, it's like, oh, I did everything I wanted to do and I was prepared and stuff like that. I feel like that's what he wanted to like show off to her, being like, you should be impressed by me. I'm the one that got us here. I'm the one that saved us. This guy's talking about all the stuff that he wanted to do. I got to do everything I wanted to do, and I think that's why he got so pissed off that she started flirting with him. It's like you should have been paying attention to me. I'm your savior. Right. Not this guy. Absolutely. And that's why he like broke later, which we'll talk about. But I think that's what set yeah. the stage of like, oh, no one wants to hear you talk. You're not even supposed to be here. 
I have a couple of theories about this one, actually. Can we hear them now? I got a couple of theories about this. Let's continue so I can get to them. Nobody asked anything at the table, but Michelle looks down at Howard's keys then tagged uh, that are tagged towards his hip or on his hip. She then slightly asks for Emmett to pass her a napkin. He looks at Howard for a moment and then passes her a napkin while Howard watches them. Michelle adds on to what Emmett was saying earlier about not being able to finish Monopoly. She continues going over the board games that she would play, and they have a moment trying to figure out the name of the Popomatic Bubble in Trouble. Howard is irritated with their chatting, but Emmett continues asking if she has a player if she has played Operation. Uh, while they are, have a, a slight flirtatious moment, she asks for him to hand her the salt. Emmett looks at her, sort of realizing that uh, realizing what what she is doing, but hands her the salt. She pours some on her food, but then giggles, asking for the pepper while touching his hand. She's like, oh, I meant to ask for the pepper. <laughs> Emmett has a slight smirk on his face and then hands her the pepper. He's stoked about it. He's like, oh, shit. Yeah, he is. I guess you're the only woman here. Like, yeah. Uh, Howard bangs his fist on the table, shouting, that sh- that, uh, shouting, what does she think she is doing? She shudders, moving back towards the wall, telling him that she was just asking for Pepper. But Howard gets out of his chair, coming closer towards her, reprimanding her for her actions. He tells he tells her furiously, asking her if she um, if this is how she thanks him for saving her life. Emmett gets up, telling Howard to calm down, but Howard orders him to shut up and stay stay, stay in his seat. Meanwhile, Michelle is trying to secretly grab the keys from his hip while Howard's attention is away, but he turns it back towards her, continuing his question. He tells her that he knows what a traitor looks like and tells her that he has shown her nothing but generosity and hospitality. He asks for her to apologize and to tell him that she is going to behave. She tells him that she will, but she isn't able to grab the keys off his hip. Howard comes back around asking for clarification on what she will do. She tells him what he wants to hear, and Howard tells her to sit. But she has successfully gotten the keys. Now on to my theory. Of why he got so upset. I don't think he got upset because he wants her to like her. I think he got upset because he thinks he th- sees her as his daughter. You know, I can't he- I can't believe that. I can't get behind that. I, what happened? I said I can get behind that theory. I think you're actually really accurate with that. Yeah. Because I, I I think it's more so of him like protecting like his daughter. His daughter, yeah, exactly. Seeing his daughter with her boyfriend or flirting at the table, mm-hmm. and he feels disrespected by that. Um, because it's just like, why would you do that in front of me? How could you? Um, kind of thing. And same thing with the no touching in the beginning. And it, it's like, like probably even the same concept of like, if you're in her room, and I'm sure this was probably maybe a side conversation that I like to believe there was, like if you're in her room, the door needs to be open kind of thing. Mm-hmm. I'm yeah. sure yeah. a conversation, I would not put it past Howard to leave a conversation out like that with Emmett. So... That makes, I don't know, man. that makes a lot of sense, actually. Do you think he ever yeah. had a daughter to begin with? Or he's yes, always wanted one? I do. Okay, so he probably like I, lost I her. I think he for sure has a her. daughter. Well, there, there's things that can prove this. There was a website that came out year, right. when this movie yeah. was first released. And he was on that website. Right, about he the company. company. Yeah, the company that made the satellites mm-hmm. and stuff like that. Which could be tied yeah. to Cloverfield, the first one. Um. Yeah, there were so many conspiracy theories and like fan theories. Mm-hmm. That's what I love about this movie too, because there's a lot of uh community around it, which is so great. 
Oh yeah. There's like Absolutely. YouTube videos on YouTube videos. It's like, oh, if you pause it at this frame, you can see the leather. The leather has this address, and people are like going crazy. But okay, yeah, I can see that. Yeah, so it's super interesting because I, I, I there is an email that he sends his daughter. Okay. As uh, as an as his name, Radio Man Seventy, which also is the radio that he also had. Um, but he he was wearing a T-shirt that said Radio Man Seventy on it inside the photo but yeah it's super interesting it's super duper interesting we're going deep howard takes one more sip from his drink and tells her that she uh that she has to stay hydrated she is slowly moving her food towards her mouth and howard asks her what's wrong she tells him nothing and tries to go for his keys to open up another and he tries to go for his keys to open up another bottle realizing that they aren't on um that they aren't there, he starts asking where his keys are. Their attention is turned to another car they hear above them. Michelle takes a bottle and smashes it on Howard's head while try- while trying to run up the stairs. Emmett calls for Michelle, but Howard t- uh, throws the table over, causing him uh, to fall down with it. Meanwhile, Michelle is trying to get the, uh, uh, get to the door. Or excuse me. Meanwhile, Michelle is trying to get the door open with the set of keys, but Howard is right behind her, slightly dazed, yelling for her to give him the keys. She keeps trying to trying for the door and is able to get through, locking Howard on the other side of the door. He is yelling for her to, to not open the not open the door. She briefly stops when she notices a car, and she starts yelling to get. Uh, she starts yelling to get whoever that that is uh, um, for their attention. Howard is still tr- uh, telling her to listen to him and to not do this, but she continues going for the lock uh, lock on the door. A woman then appears, trying to open the door, banging on it, asking Michelle to let her in. Michelle is telling Howard that there is a woman who, th- who looks hurt and that she wants to come inside. Howard yells for her to not let her in and to look at her face. The woman starts to cry and tells Michelle that she is fine and that, that it only touched her a little. And I love that because mm-hmm. it's just like, like you're thinking about what she's talking about there and, and it makes it seem like it's the air. What, she yeah. starts pleading uh, so, for her to open the door. Oh, sorry. Very quickly, Prince. I just want to chime in because this is my, yes, please. my first time watching it and I, I, I don't oh, have any yeah, context. Yeah, yeah. So um, everything that she was saying, I, I had believed that there was radiation or again, that this is all just a ploy. Um, I was thinking maybe Howard, being as crafty as he is, had like a little under the table button and it alerted this woman for her. All right, come now. Yeah, come now. Someone's trying to escape and this is a scare tactic. So Even when she hit him in the head with the bottle? Uh, well, you just didn't think about that. When you're talking about Michelle hit Howard in the head with the bottle? Yeah, because like that's the reason why she's up there is because she hit him in the head with the bottle trying to escape. Well, no, what I'm saying is um, somehow Howard alerted the woman to drive up and, oh, and sure. that woman could have been in on it but at this point that that theory is quickly dwindling um <laughs> but you're right when this woman is saying that it only touched her a little bit um it really leads you to believe that like the air right the air is just filled with radiation and it's got into her but it's it's still early at least that's what she's stating but later on in the movie you understand what really touched her so it's it's fantastic Right. And I love that this thing is whatever that stuff is. Uh, we'll talk about it later. <laughs> she starts pleading for her to open the door and Howard yells for her to not listen to her and to not let her in um, and that no one can help her. The woman starts to bang on the door, continuing to yell for Michelle to open the door, even calling her a nasty name. The woman starts to scream for her to let her in 
and starts banking her head on the window into a bloodied mess. That's when I saw this scene that. is so fucking intense yeah. for a PG-13 movie. It's That's well, when my theory went out the window. Right. It's well executed. It's such a well executed scene because there's so much going on. You have the score still going on. And you hear back and forth from Mary, you hear, or sorry, from her and then Howard screaming at her. He's like, don't open the door. And she's explaining, like, she's telling me to, like, open the door. She's pleading. She's really frantic. And we also hear the lady outside. And then that's where the score just ends. And then there's no noise. And it's just the girl outside screaming. And that's all you hear. And it's very aesthetically pleasing on how they put the sound design of her voice. Because it becomes so like deep and like dark, and then she starts banging her head. Yeah. It was well executed. I was like, yeah, she's "This is like, sick." She's like a, <laughs> <laughs> like, you bitch, open this yeah. door, and then bang. It's like, oh, so chilling. Even talking about it gives you me felt, chills. You you felt the veracity behind it. Oh yeah, and that's 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 something that is is I personally feel like is a little hard to accomplish sometimes. Like you felt. That this person was in panic and desperation. You felt it. Yeah. Cut to Michelle back locked into her room. Howard unlocks the door to come in uh, into her room to change her light bulb. She's on her mattress with tears running down her face, still weary of Howard. Howard tells her that he knows it is hard realizing they're all gone. He changes her light, turns around, and tells her that uh, he has something to confess to her. He admits that he crashed into her car, and when he found out about the incoming attack, he got frantic, driving like a maniac. He tells her that he tried to pass her, but he is the reason that she went off the road. Did you believe him, David? Sorry, what was that? Did you believe him when he said that he uh, he was trying to pass her and then he actually like hit her car? Oh, on accident? I actually... So I was very conflicted at this point um, because... It's tough because I had that initial thought process, right? And I had thought that this man is very intelligent and he really knows how to like just create this grand facade or he is being very genuine. Um, It's so conflicting for me. Fair. He continues telling her that he uh, that it was an accident, but it was his fault and that he was afraid to tell tell her then apologize. Uh, apologizes he uh her eyes are filled with tears but she doesn't say anything towards him he starts walking out of the room telling her that she should shower because the smallest amount of air that came through the uh, hinges could be toxic he places uh, he places some of megan's clothes beside her offering them to her cut to howard setting up a station on the table with his first aid kit he is telling Michelle that he recognized the woman's car, thinking it was his neighbor Leslie. He tells her that Emmett wasn't the only person that knew about this bunker and warns uh, warns her that uh, if any if any others somehow survived, they could be coming there too. He sits at the t- at, he sits at the I don't know why I wrote it that way. He sits down at the table, pulling out some material to stitch himself up. He tells Michelle that this is her, this is her doing and sh- that she's going to need to give him stitches. Uh, oh, excuse me. I skipped ahead on, on my words there. He tells Michelle that he is going to need some stitches, then looks over to her. Confused, she asks if if uh, he wants her to do it and reminds her that this is her doing. She tells him that she uh, doesn't think she is qualified, but he tells her that he will walk her through it, then offers her a drink. She asks him, if, she asks him what, it, uh, what it is, 
and tells her that it's technically vodka, then tells her to uh, that he that it is safe and he distilled it himself while he takes a sip. Michelle takes a sip and coughs from the taste. Howard tells her that he uh, he just distilled it. He didn't mention that it actually tastes good, but vodka doesn't taste good in general. But I have to agree. She agrees that it is awful, and he offers it on the rocks for her while spraying C- uh, CO2 on the bottom of the mug. You guys ever do that? Like uh, with the, the air canisters, keyboards. I've done it before yeah, for sure. Flip them upside down. Yeah. So cool. Yeah. So I have a story on that. <laughs> in, in middle school, a buddy of mine, a, a couple buddies of mine in middle school, we're middle schoolers, right? So of course this would happen. But we were like, <laughs> what would happen if we sprayed it on one of our hands for like ten seconds? And <laughs> we uh, did it for one of my buddies, and uh, he had a scar, not a scar, but he had a mark, a burn right. on his hand for maybe like two or three years. Oh my god, dude! Yeah, it yeah. burns. Kids are dumb. Yeah, kids are dumb. <laughs> we were so stupid as kids. <laughs> we always tried the, the silliest things. I, I haven't done anything like that, but I have sprayed it like like a full can in a room, and it leaves like a film in the air. Oh, yeah. To where when you breathe it in, you just it, it's taking the air away. It, it's CO two. It's carbon dioxide. Yeah. Right. So it's like like you literally your room is being filled with this air and. You're suffocating yourself. So <laughs> that's what I was doing. That was great. Uh, yeah, that was fun to teach my uh, my uncle-in-law. His kids were over. Then one's a teenager, one's like nine. And I, I showed them, I was like, have you guys ever seen CO2 sprayed in the air? And he's a scientist. So he was like, oh, that'd actually be a cool project to show them. He's like, make sure to do it outside. And I was like, oh, yeah, no, 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 trust me. Uh, I've made the dumb decisions already. So... <laughs> We went outside and I showed them how it works. And when they when I did it, they were so amazed. Yeah. And at first I did it without the straw. And <laughs> like it was just, and it's it's not as intense without the straw. Then I did it with the straw. And when it's compressed a little bit more, mm. it actually has a larger uh radius to blast. So it, it was it was so fun. So fun. Anyway. He tells her that this was a trick that he learned um stationed on sh- um on a ship. Uh, c- commenting on the CO, working them too hard and freezing the knob and snapping it off. That I don't think that could happen though. Uh, I, I don't. Maybe I don't know. We'll see. Howard offers. Uh, I kind of want to try that. Howard offers her some more, but she tells him that that she is good, and he takes another sip while cheering her. While uh, cheering her, he sterilizes the needle, uh, takes a few deep breaths while uh, she begins to stitch, and I don't think that's. All you do to sterilize a needle. I don't I don't know if all you do is just dip it inside some vodka and pull it out and say, You're good. I mean like, I think yeah. you gotta like heat that up right. and then and then do all that. But whatever. I, I think know. we gotta check our nursing podcast for that. I think we do. <laughs> <laughs> um I even put here that uh I find it hilarious that he's also in so much pain and he's just sarcastically saying, like, you're doing just fine. <laughs> <laughs> He puts a box on the table, letting her know that it is some stuff that uh, he took from her car, but he wasn't he wasn't able to grab her booze in time. Michelle starts going through it, and he asked he asked for her, um, excuse me, and he asked her if uh, what is all that. She tells him that she wanted to do uh, she wanted to do uh, clothing clothing designing or designing clothes initially, and he tells her that there's no wonder she was so good uh, doing his stitches. He tells. 
Uh, he lets her know that Michelle wanted to be an artist. She asks him if that was his daughter, and he quickly says yes with a quick smile, and then he walks off to grab a picture of her. Yeah, he he uh, avoids eye contact in that moment, kind of looks up towards the ceiling, and quickly walks away. I like, actually uh, went back yes. to look at that. Mm, so interesting. He continues saying that Megan was smart, loved to read anything with Paris. She liked uh, she liked their movies and culture. Howard tells her that uh, her her mother turned her against him and took her to Chicago. He then tells her that people are strange. You can't always convince them that safety is in the best best interest. Michelle has a look of concern on her face, and then she mentions that he doesn't know they're gone. He walks off saying that at least he tried to help them. We are back in Michelle's room uh, while she is looking through her sketchbook. And once again, just this is beautiful. Like the the cinematography here is just oh god, <clears throat> excuse me. Emmett knocks on the wall, telling her that uh, there was nothing that she could could have done for that woman, and even if she would have let her in, she would have probably died anyway. Michelle ignores it and tells him that she has regrets. He tells her to welcome to the cl- he tells her welcome to the club, and he uh, lives his life in a forty mile radius that uh, was by and that was by design. <clears throat> excuse me. Dang, someone's stuck in my throat. Can't get it. Uh, he continues saying that he was so fast in high school, he managed to outrun his bad grades. Uh, he was all all state track three years in a row. <clears throat> oh, I got it, guys. There it is. It's gone. <laughs> <laughs> uh, he was all state track uh, three years in a row, getting him a full ride to Louisiana Tech. He chuckles, saying that he spent. The last two weeks of the summer, showing off his bus ticket to anybody who would look at it. He somberly tells her that the, uh, that night he was supposed to leave, he got so worried about how bad he was going to do up there compared to all those, quote, smart kids, end quote. Emmett got so drunk that he knew there was no chance that he was waking up in the morning, so he missed his bus. And that he never bought another ticket for the next ones. Trying to cheer him up, Michelle tells him that... Uh, tells him if he had gone, he might be dead now. He tells her, lucky him, then changes it to lucky them. Michelle starts telling him about a few years ago when she was at a hardware store and there was a little girl with her dad. He was in a hurry and she wasn't, keep- and she wasn't keeping up. So he kept yanking on her arm, her arm extremely hard, too hard, and continues telling him that she knows that feeling. When her dad got that way, her brother Colin would have would uh would be there to take the worst of it for her. She thought seeing this girl uh that she could excuse me she thought seeing this girl that she could uh do something for her, but she kept watching. Actually, now that I think about it, she was probably on the phone with her brother. Well, yeah, that could be a good call in the morning. Yeah, yeah. having her brother be there uh, for her always. Yeah, right. Probably on the phone with her brother. She, uh, they are about to leave, and the little girl slips and throws him off balance, causing him to uh, hit her. Honestly, I thought when she first said that she slips, I thought she got hit by a car or some shit. And I was just like, oh, fuck. Uh, she admits that she panicked and ran uh, uh, when deep down she wanted to help her. Do you think she genuinely just ran away? Probably. Like, physically ran? I think so. It could be... I'm, I'm like, curious, like... Like if she like ran past them or something, and the, that guy was like, "What the fuck? What are you Honestly, doing?" <laughs> it might be like some mental trauma from her past where she felt like an anxiety oh, sure. attack, and she just had to leave the situation, and she probably just ran. She's like, "I can't do it." And this is this is why I think she was in the 
and a physical abusive relationship with her ex-fiance. Right. Or even verbal abuse. So adding to that, I mean, later on we hear that her dad was abusive and typically mm-hmm. when you experience that as a child in your partners, when you are seeking relationships, you tend to gravitate towards You tend similar, to kind of gravitate towards that. Yeah, similar yeah. people that have those similar traits. Absolutely. Absolutely. Uh, Emmett tells her, which is interesting because we also see, oh, actually you haven't seen it. Chapter two. I'm not going to spoil that for you. Um, Emmett tells her that they're, that they are here and alive and that has to mean something. We cut to a montage of the bunk squad cleaning, dancing, doing puzzles, eating dinner, watching movies, playing board games to Tommy James and the Shondells. I think we're alone now. What a jam. Dog. So good. I gotta agree. I think we're alone now. So fitting too. It is fitting. I think this was in the in the commercial too, wasn't it? Probably. I think so. Yeah. I just remember it from uh, Umbrella Academy as well. So good. Oh yeah. You know, I just I couldn't with that. (gasps) Uh, Sorry. Emmett comments on some puzzle pieces missing while Michelle is on the couch on the couch sketching clothes on people inside of a magazine. He asks her what she's doing, and she hands him the magazine. He makes a little joke about it, me about about it before handing it back. He comments that her picture uh, sh- should um, have more access in chainsaws, telling her that there could be zombies up there. But Howard doesn't even think that is that one is plausible. Uh, there is a rumbling noise, and Michelle immediately calls out for Howard. He comes into the room, telling them to stay calm while they all stand and listen to the quake above. There's a guttural, monstrous sound. Emmett um, asking what uh, what that is, but Howard tells him to be quiet so he can continue listening. Emmett mentions that one of the noises sound like helicopters. Howard tells him that it could be military, but it's not theirs. He asks how could he tell, and he chalks it up to being in the Navy for 14 years. Michelle cuts them off, asking their, uh, asking what's happening up there. Up there, um, and it kind of made me think. I was like, do helicopters sound different in different countries? Or something? yeah, I thought the same thing. Like mm. I don't, I don't understand how the, how you could just be like helicopters. I would say this: there are some people who could tell what kind of car it is by hearing the engine. Maybe he's a helicopter guy who knows the sound of helicopters. Be like, that's not our model. Our model sounds different. I mean, yeah, I, I think different countries, sure. different militaries probably use different types as their like broad array of like main maybe. units. Right. Um, so yeah. maybe it was something like that. Possible. Yeah, possible. I mean, I don't know. I'm neither one of those guys. So we're going to have to check our <laughs> helicopter podcast for that. Got to check our helicopter podcast for that. Exactly. Our guesses, uh, guesses that the flashes was phase one, uh, taking out your opponent's po- population centers with big hits all at once fast, which we do see in uh, the original Cloverfield. So I would highly suggest watching the original Cloverfield soon, David. Oh, I'm in um, it. I'm I'm excited to actually go and do that pretty soon. Super exciting. I don't even want to tell you how it's filmed because I just want you to go in blind. Oh, I love going in blind. Oh, I'm excited for you. And then round two, ground sweeps. He says, quote, a satellite log showed an increase in coded, in coded traffic recently, possibly extraterrestrial signals. I bet that we just heard what uh, we heard. I bet what we just heard were airborne patrols sent to hunt down the remaining signs of life, like us, end quote. An alarm starts to go off, and Howard looks around, commenting on that being bad. Cut to him with trying to open a hatch to the vent, but he can't, telling, telling them that's worse. Michelle asks what, uh, what's up there, and he tells her, he tells her that uh, that's the air filtration system. He tells, 
lets them know that something is blocking the hatch, and if they can't get get if they can't get get it back on, they're going to run out of breathable air fast. He opens a vent, telling Michelle uh, that she is the only one small enough to reach the filtration system through the main duct. Oh, he no. lets her know that someone needs to get get in there and restart it. No, oh, no. They start moving the table, and Emmett tells Howard to let him go, accuse to let him go instead, uh, excusing her for. N- for not knowing her way around the unit. However, writes, immediately writes this off, telling him that he won't fit and reminding him about his arm. He continues going over the instructions with Michelle to restart the unit. Uh, the And I even put here, the on, the off then on was a, was pretty funny when he was like, right. was like, you turn it off, then on, off, then on, and he's like kind of pondering in his head a little bit. And he's like, like yeah. yeah, that should do that it. Should do it. <laughs> the, so the, sprinkle, the sprinkle of comedy throughout this film is perfectly it's splendid. Perfect. It's perfect. Yeah. It's absolutely perfect. Oh, I like what you said. <laughs> uh, but I got to add, man, the this scene, and we talked about it during Alien, but these moments where people are crawling through really small spaces. Right. Oh, my goodness. I, I start breathing very heavily. I have nightmares about that. And usually what would happen is... You know, the space is pretty open. I start crawling through and it gets smaller and smaller to the point where I get stuck. And then it gets to the point where I can't move my neck in my dream. So when I see this in films, I I start feeling very claustrophobic, even though I'm just watching it. So um, it's a weakness for me. No, that's fair. Claustrophobia is a son of a bitch. That's for sure. Uh, he reminds her that neither one of them will be able to go inside uh, to help her if she gets stuck. So don't get stuck. So good. <laughs> Great advice. Got to Michelle crawling inside the air duct. Um, or, yeah, the air duct. Uh, Howard calls to Michelle and asks if everything is okay. She tells him that it looks like uh, she is at a dead end. He tells her that that is uh, where the incline begins and to climb up and she will be in. Letting out one last, this sucks. She climbs up in the incline, bursting through another vent into a larger generator room. When she falls into the room, you can see a letter from Bold Futura, uh, Futura from uh, Tagaratu Company in Tokyo. I noticed for that. Howard Stambler uh, at 10 Cloverfield Lane. Mm. I literally said out loud, Tokyo? What's that? So weird. So I even put here that I fucking love the details in this movie. And I even put here that for those who aren't sure what this is, this is a company that Howard actually worked at. He worked there for about seven or eight years. And um, that letter was initially commemorating him for his uh, work employee of the month initially. Mm. Mm. Because uh, he was he was accepting an employee of the month award, and this is all on the website. Um, but initially, what this company would do, David, this company would actually work on satellites for the military. Oh, okay, so okay. interesting. Mm-hmm. Didn't uh, so, a main character from the first movie get a job in Tokyo? Hmm. Someone did. Hmm. Someone did. Someone did. But we don't want to talk about that. No, no, no. Previous spoilers. <laughs> nope. She turns off and on, off and on the switch, then presses a button, and it seemed to have work. She starts looking around the room and notices a ladder to another door hatch that has a window pointing straight up towards the sky. She tries to push the door, but notices the padlock. Michelle looks more at the glass and notices scratches that say help with a tinge of blood at the bottom, at the bottom of the pee. Shaken, Michelle decides to get down uh, from there. Get down from there, and when she reaches the ground, she steps on some, steps on an earring. 
Uh, cut to Michelle telling Emmett that Howard lied about Megan. Emmett asks her what she means, and she tells him that she thinks he did something horrible to her. Emmett tells her tells her no, and that his family moved to Chicago years ago. But Michelle shakes her head, showing him the earring with blood on them, and um, the same earring that's in the photo of quote unquote Megan. Michelle looks around the corner and tells him to come with her. She grabs a book with a picture inside, showing Emmett. Um, showing Emmett. He tells her, this isn't Megan. Confused, she asks him what, what he means, and he tells her that this is a girl, this uh, girl's name is Brittany, and that he remembers her because she went to school with his little sister. Yikes. Big yikes. Bro. Bro. When I first saw this, my heart dropped. Yeah. Oh my god. I was just like, <gasps> Oh my god, we got a don't breathe situation. <laughs> like, <laughs> oh man. Even though Don't Breathe came out after this. Right. But still. What's very like, interesting is that we oh, we don't even have the context of what Brittany and Howard's relationship was, right? We we don't know how that dynamic was. And I think right. what's really interesting about this film is that that's just left to your imagination. At least I think it is, unless there's it some is. correlation. Okay, got you. Yeah. Um, so yeah, that can be really scary for some people. Like Prince said, it made your heart drop, right? Yeah, man. That shit's scary. He continues telling her that she went missing two years back. Michelle tells him that there was a message that said help scratched on the window and that this earring was in there. She asks him if Brittany ever showed up after going missing. He stares at her with a face of doubt. Michelle continues telling him that Howard said uh, said to his face or excuse me, Howard said to her face that this was his daughter that this was Megan. They put the picture back in the book and another one falls out, a Polaroid with Howard and Brittany wearing the same pair of shirt that Michelle is currently wearing, sitting on the couch. She tells him that he looked, that he took her and killed her, but they cut, uh, but they cut their conversation when they um, hear Howard banging away. What do you think what truly happened to her? Do you think he killed her? Yeah, for sure. Okay. One of the barrels. What about you, David? I mean, I, think so? I don't think she could have found a way out. Uh, I think that's a lot harder than Michelle made it seem. Um, I think, yeah. I, I think because of what we see later on, I wouldn't be surprised if Howard did. Because I think he was... Uh, I, think she killed, I, I think she killed herself. Oh. Because of, okay. like, of her not being able to escape. That's Because that's also, all the shit that Michelle puts Howard through, right? he never... I mean, he tries to kill her once. Yeah. And even then, it wasn't really trying to kill her. Like, he even still told her, like, come back to me. Stay with me. Right. That's a very good point. So I don't think he... Because, like, like I said, I think he really considers them to be his daughters. That's really deep yeah. and dark. <laughs> yeah. Damn. So I think he really believes that. And, like, this whole conditioning process of making them his daughters initially. <sighs> man. I don't know, man. It's interesting to think about. It is. They uh, they play it cool by standing at the jukebox, and Emmett whispers for them to just think. Coming up to, uh, coming up with the idea of taking his gun, tr- uh, tying him up to confess whatever he's done. She sarcastically questions him, but he tells he tells her that they can't be the only survivors using the woman who came there as an example. Michelle reminds him that she died, making choking noises. Howard comes into the room, congratulating all of them on their teamwork, and tells them that he that he is feeling like some music for their celebration. 
He goes to the jukebox and starts playing some music, telling Michelle uh, that she should go take a shower just in case, and she summarily agrees while he is in a chipper mood. Michelle goes to the uh, shower, turning it on, looking at the shower curtain, and she gets an idea. Uh, cut to her... Cut to her telling Emmett that she uh, thinks she might have an idea while handing him the magazine. He takes a look at it and she tells him that she thinks that she can only make one, but it's a start. Cut to Howard watching Pretty in Pink and Emmett coming into the room, greeting him, commenting on the wrong movie. Howard tells him that that it was one of Megan's favorite films and then irritatedly asks him if he can help him with something. Emmett tells him no, and he and that he is just grabbing some water while clearing his throat. He goes into the kitchen, grabs a glass, puts the glass in the sink, turns the water on, and grabs some scissors from a drawer, hiding them inside his sling. When he grabs his water, he starts telling Howard uh, that he was just thinking, asking him how close does he think Michelle got to that air filtration system, continually asking if he thinks she touched it. Howard irritatedly tells him that he thinks she touched it. Emmett agrees that Michelle has cleaned up, but God knows what is attached to, to that filtration system from out, that filter from outside. If any of it got on her, it could be pretty co concentrated and could be all over the shower and sink in his bathroom. Howard doesn't say anything, and Emmett leaves saying that it's just a thought. Howard unpauses the TV, but then shuts it off. He goes into his bathroom and immediately strips everything, throwing it into the laundry hatch. The other, cut to the other two, um, opening the hatch back up with a, uh, to fish out the curtain. Um, we see that Michelle drew, uh, drew in the magazine, um, and... Oh, excuse me. We see what Michelle drew in the magazine, and they are planning on making a suit that would allow them to go outside safely. She draws her design a bit further in her sketchbook, grabs the needle from the first kit, from the first aid kit, and rips a page about making your own gas mask out of the Doomsday Book. She gets back to work while Emmett is looking for a box cutter. She starts cutting the curtain and duct taping it together. Meanwhile, Emmett is making the gas mask. Um, it's so funny watching him make the gas mask with one hand. He's like. <laughs> like you can tell that he's definitely struggling a little yeah. bit i don't think i would have trusted that gas mask as much because this dude made it with one hand but yeah, that's true he's just trying to help <laughs> yeah he's just trying to help he's just like i'm being helpful <laughs> they come back emmett telling her not um emmett, emmett, excuse me emmett telling her not while she adds if howard finds uh finds this he would kill them emmett goes over the plan of taking the gun tying him up and one one and one of them goes out looking for help. She nods her head, letting out a sigh uh, from it all. Cut to Emmett turning turning a timer for a game where Howard is tr is trying to guess uh, the words. First word, tiny, and Howard guesses little. And the second word is Michelle, and Howard stammers between girl, child, and little princess. Howard is starting to get frustrated throughout all of this, and Emmett even tries to help him out by saying she is older than a girl. But ultimately, he does he uh, doesn't get the correct answer, being little woman or little women. I think this uh, is stronger evidence supporting your theory, Prince. I think so too. He, yeah, he really yeah. just sees her as like a child, a placeholder child. for his daughter. Yeah, right. Yeah, so good, and it's just it's just kind of goes to show you like what's in Howard's mind, right? Yeah, where deep down inside, Howard only wants it to just be him and his daughter, mm -hmm. or him and his little princess, yeah, or whatever. Um, and Michelle's face is priceless. She's like, what the, what the yeah, fuck? It's like what the like, hell, little, little princess? 
Howard sighs and snorts, telling Emmett to be a little more specific while taking the timer and grabbing a card. He thinks about it for a moment, then coldly looks at Emmett, telling him that he is always watching, always, while looking at Michelle. Michelle looks at Emmett, then back at Howard, while he turns his gaze back at Emmett. Emmett tries to answer with God. Howard continues, quote, I go where I want, end quote. Emmett, slightly confused with concern, tells him that he doesn't know. But he continues, quote, I know what you're doing. I see what you're doing, end quote. Emmett and Michelle are getting nervous, but he tells them that he tells them that he knows what he, he's up to. Emmett starts uh, telling, uh, starts um, stammering while telling him that he doesn't know what he's getting at. And Howard cuts him off, quote, I see you when you're sleeping, end quote. I like, he should have gotten it by this yeah, point. <laughs> I love this but, moment. Yeah, it's so fucking intense. Yep. Oh my god. Emmett is trying to tell him that he doesn't know what he is getting at, but Howard is yelling over him, repeating, quote, I am always watching, end quote. Michelle is thinking about what he is saying and blurts out Santa Claus and slightly chuckles after it, and the timer goes off. Howard tells her that, that she is correct, but it was Emmett's turn. She apologizes, telling him that she just got a little excited, and he frustratedly slams his hand, telling her that he is keeping that point. She tells him that it's t- that uh, he totally earned it, <laughs> and that they are, and they are looking at at them while he is staring at them, taping his tapping his pen on the table as if he's as as if he is studying them. And I love this because you know he fucking knows, right? Or does he? Like you. Because I, I know he knows. I think you're led to believe that he does know, and it it's kind of building off that anxiety. But I don't. It's so beautifully done because it's like, is he Santa Claus or is he just really smart? Right. I think he knows. I think that's where he gained suspicion. Actually, when he saw how they reacted, he's like, "Hmm, why did you guys react that way? If it was just Santa Claus?" And I think that's when he started looking into it. Because you look at them and he's like, oh, I'm keeping that point. And then stares at them. And he's like, hmm, you guys are so freaked out for some reason. He makes this weird face. Like right after he like writes down his point, he looks up. They're still freaked out. He's like, why? And I think that's what like drove him to like research. Yeah, he's like like studying them. Right. It's like, yeah, huh. You're right. I think you're right. Cuts to Michelle working back on the curtain, and he hears a bang from outside her room. She calls to see if it, if it is Emmett, but the banging and clattering continues towards her door. She quickly starts putting everything underneath her mattress and sits, sits on it while Howard comes into her room telling her that he needs help with something. She tells him sure, and they head into the other room. Howard calls for Emmett to come over to him, and they walk over to a trick wall. He opens it, showing showing the other two that it's a large barrel. Confused, Michelle asks what it is, and Howard bluntly tells her that it's a, um, it's a, uh, it is a barrel, and she asks what's in it, and um, and just and he just tells her to move it into the bathroom. They oblige, and Howard tells them that it is um, perchloric acid while putting on some gloves. He asks them if they if they know what that is, and they shake their head. Um, he tells them that it is usually produced as a precursor to ammonium uh, perchlorate and a fuel used to launch naval satellites into orbit. By opening the lid, he tells them that it is um, highly corrosive and dissolves most biological material on contact with humans right down to the bone. Emmett, uh, Emmett asks Howard, what is he showing? Uh, uh, why is he showing them? Or excuse me. Emmett asks Howard, what is he showing them this for? And Howard glares at him, telling him that he thinks that he must think he's, he's an idiot. Emmett chuckles and tells him that he, 
he has to tell tell them what what it is that he's talking about. Howard tells him that that he is talking about getting rid of some waste while grabbing something from the table behind him. Ooh. Michelle and Emmett both give off a, a concerning glance at each other. Howard shows them the duct tape, scissors, and box cutter, asking them what were they using all of this for. They are both quiet, and Howard starts to yell for them to tell him what they are planning to do. Emmett is trying to cal- is trying to calm him down, and Michelle is also pleading for him to calm down. Howard tell Howard tells them that he is giving them one chance while dropping the materials into the acid. Howard repeats this yelling and threatening them that he is going to throw them in in the barrel alive to feel it. Emmett conf- confesses that it was all him and. Um, and that Michelle doesn't have a clue on what is what he is talking about. He tells Howard that he wanted his gun, so he was thinking about making a weapon to get it from him. Howard has then has this menacing look on his face that uh, just looks like he wants to tear him apart. He looks at Michelle, saying that he wanted her to respect him like the way she respects him. It's so interesting. Mm-hmm. And once again, this really is just kind of showing off uh, the characterization of characterization of how they see Howard. Yeah, very interesting. Emmett continues saying that he wasn't right, um, and that oh, excuse me. Emmett continues t- telling him that he wasn't right, and that he is very sorry. Howard asks him again if he is sorry, and Emmett repeats it. And Howard tells him that he accepts his apology. Michelle gives out a short-lived sigh because Howard takes his revolver and shoots Emmett point-blank in the face. I was shocked. I couldn't believe it. Yeah. <laughs> did you David gasp? I, I, I did. Um, <laughs> yeah, like without remorse and just almost like a robot. But he was like in the Navy, right? So it makes sense. But wow. And how how terrifying just terrible that is for michelle to see just point blank oh my goodness it's no fucking warning yeah it's like this is the only person you've known for this short amount of time and you know you guys are in isolation together and just like that he's gone it's just you and howard now damn oh it might have been a michelle falls oh sorry no i was just saying like from david's perspective it would have been like such a shocking experience seeing this movie for the first time because this scene also gets me every time I rewatch it. I've rewatched this several times and it still gets me. It's like, damn, that just happened. So probably seeing mm-hmm. that for the first time was probably very shocking to you. So it's cool to see your perspective on that. And of course, yeah. Michelle, yeah, she's traumatized. Shocked us all. We all did we Oh yeah. When I saw that in theaters. I did not expect that to happen. Not at all. I think I heard the whole entire oh audience God. gasped. Like trying to remember I, yeah, it. It's I'm like, pretty sure. I'm pretty sure everyone was shocked. I'm pretty sure everybody was like, "What the? Like everyone fuck? froze in time. It's like, what just happened? It was so. Uh. Oh man, what a beautiful experience. Michelle falls to a corner screaming. Howard is trying to comfort her, but she is extremely uncomfortable in shock. The sound is ringing while Howard is telling her that he was going to make a weapon and that he was intending to hurt, uh, intending on hurting them, and that she is safe now, and it is just her and him. He tells her that she, uh, she should go to her room while helping her out of the door, telling her that she doesn't need to see what uh, see the next part. We show we sh- uh, show empty surroundings around the bunker, ending with Michelle crying while sitting in her room. She looks into Emmett's wallet, looking at his driver's license. Um, Howard starts calling for Michelle, telling her that that he thought that they should change things up and have dessert before dinner. After all, uh, after 
After all, they can do whatever they uh, want to now. After all, they can do whatever they want to now. She looks at the ice cream, then at him, showing off his cleanly shaved face. He asks her if she would like a cone or a bowl, then telling her that Megan allows um, always wanted hers in a bowl, saying that the cones were too messy. Then tells her that he understands that this, is, this isn't the life she prefer, and that it isn't easy living down here, but he wants them to be a happy family, him and her. So this conflicts with your theory, Prince, but I think I'm more in line with yours now after having, you know, the conversation that we are having. But when mm-hmm. I first saw Howard come out, dressed in a polo, shave, hair done, I was like, this homeboy is trying to make a date out of this. You know, he's all groomed, sure. looking clean. Um, so those were the vibes that I got. And I think that is very, very telling, right? In his his demeanor, his appearance. Uh, I yeah. mean, even with the... The imitation of ice cream, very date-like. Uh, right. So I, I got very creeped out by this scene, but I think it was very well done because it was able to portray that creepiness without, you know, the need of exposition. Absolutely, and I'm I'm actually I'm, I'm on the same page as you. However, I do find it in the slight opposite tinge of it being more of him trying to find a, a piece of innocence um, in his happiness, right? Because he's stoked. He is so stoked that it's just them now because this is all he wanted. It wanted he wanted it to just be him and her so they can be a happy family. I kind of and I have to agree with you, Prince. Oh, go ahead. No, you're you're going on the right track. I'm thinking of too. I feel like this is what he finally wanted. This is what he wanted the entire time with Emma being out of the way. Now, right? It's like a fresh start, which is like getting a clean shave. You're like beginning again. Mm-hmm. You're refreshed in a way. Exactly. And he's going back to like exactly. the memories of his daughter, which is kind of like hers. Like, now we can start over again. My daughter used to like this in the bowl. I'm not going to even give you the choice. I'm leaving the bowl of ice cream here. I yeah, get to give you a bowl. Right. Exactly. Like, now we can start from the beginning again, which is him all exactly. dressed up, refreshed, shaved. Um, but yeah, I can see it be the other way too. But I feel like I'm going a little bit towards your theory for sure. And going yeah. off of that, when he, you know, states that Brittany is his daughter, it could be very much that, that he really kind of convinced himself that was her. And I think that's it. And that blank stare that I, I spoke on earlier when he, you know, lies about it, it could be like delusion at that point that he truly mm-hmm. has convinced himself that um, these different women can fill in the role. All of them are, are Megan. Yeah, exactly. Mm-hmm. Oh, so fascinating. Then he tells her that uh, the mess is all taken care of and to just hang out while he gets dinner started, then taking another lick from his ice cream cone. Michelle goes back into Emmett's wallet and pulls out his bus pass to Louisiana Tech with tears in her eyes. This inspires her to continue going with her escape plan and completing the suit. While working on it, Howard calls for her and she immediately hides underneath the hides it underneath the mattress. She stores uh, the makeshift mask in the vent and acts like she is turning on her light when he opens the door to her room. He walks in asking if everything is all right and she tells him that it is. She uh, was just about to do some reading. He tells her that it is t- it is time to set up the table and supper is ready. She slightly looks up at the vent and agrees. He is about to walk out of the room but a screw from the vent falls down next to him. He tells he comes back he comes back in and looks up in, in the vent. She stutters that uh, it keeps it keeps doing that, and she doesn't know why. 
He opens up the vent and tries to look inside, but he isn't able to see the mask. He closes it and asks her, um, why, why is it loose? While looking down, um, looking down at her and notices the red suit peeking out from under the mattress. He uh, commands her to get up and she asks why. Howard tells her to get off the mattress while pulling her from her hair, throwing her to the wall. He throws the mattress and sees the suit on the ground. Michelle takes the time to make a run for it, locking him in the room. <laughs> Excuse me. She runs into the common area, looking around, stumbles upon Emmett's melting body. Ugh. Dude. That was gnarly. And this is a PG-13 movie. Yeah. But I, I thought that was such a good touch. It was very disturbing, but man. It's it, perfect. perfect. Yeah. It, the, the perfect amount of, of of speed, too. Yeah. Like, the, you, you see, because even watching this in theaters, like, you see it, and you're just like, did I just, yeah. did I just fucking yeah. see that? Uh, like, he was, he was in there, right? Yeah. Right. Oh, man. So good. Which is probably how they were able to get away with it for a PG-13 rating. Right. And when, because it was so quick. And when he gets shot, it's off camera, too. Which is like, right. they, they planned this perfectly to be in the broader audience of PG-13. Oh, yeah, for sure. She starts going through his drawers, and uh, Howard comes into the room yelling if she is going to walk out on him. Michelle, and once again, that the way he says that, walk out on him. Yeah. Where, like, that's that's what his daughter and his wife did. They walked out on him. Michelle looks back at him and he tells, he tells, and he, I don't know why I wrote it that way. Um, Michelle looks back at him and he reminds her after, after he saved her and kept her safe, this is how she repays him. She tells him, no, this is. And <laughs> fucking kicks over the barrel of acid, causing Howard to fall into the liquid. She jumps <gasps> on the bed like Indiana Jones and gets her way out of the out of the room, leaving Howard behind to gurgle from his flesh being eaten by the acid. This is that so good that preparedness that we said Michelle had, right? It's kind of been dormant and it we you tend to forget about it because so much time has lapsed, but it's still there. You could tell it's it, it's in her instinct. Um Yeah. This was such a great payoff. And I gasped yeah. when Howard fell into the acid. Um, so good. But man, what a crazy so scene. So good. Oh, man. The acid causes the wire of the lamp to ignite and causing a fire sounding off the fire alarm. Meanwhile, Michelle is gathering her suit and is about to make a, another run for it, but a half-burnt Howard is standing in her path. She causes the shelf to fall down onto him and continues making a run uh, for uh, run, but she's trapped by the flames. She gets on top of a table, wraps her suit around her ankle, and heads inside the vent. When while inside, she notices that Howard is no longer underneath the shelf. She tries to move through quietly at this point, but Howard stabs through the vent, causing her to scream. She keeps going whilst he tries to stab it again, and he opens one of the vents, um, grabs her leg while screaming for her to stop. He uh, is telling her that, he, that she doesn't know what, uh, what's out there, and she can't run from them. Very interesting. Yeah. Can't run from them. So he knows. He knows something. He knows something extraterrestrial is out there. Yeah, I mean, so I had to do. I, I have to add that when I heard him state that, I had thought that he was maybe mentioning the those that have been radiated, or the air itself, the radiation mm. in the air. So it's interesting because remember, as, as we have our slight context clues from the previous website, is that. Radio Man 70, and he worked on satellites. So mm -hmm. all he was doing was checking transmissions all day long of space. Right. Yeah. 
and he does mention extraterrestrials many times, so I th- he, he must does. be aware. And I th- oh yeah, I think he's he definitely aware. Knew that this attack was coming in general, and that's why he built a bunker in general. Because I feel like he got some type of transmission or some type of thing that like started all of this too. And I gotta yeah, say, that's a very good point. With that whole entire scene of her trying to escape and stuff like that, I don't know if it was intentionally uh, done inside the script or not. But when he said like, "Oh, this is where you go to the bathroom," I'm gonna stare at you because I don't trust you. You're gonna set a fire. That's exactly what she does in that room. She puts over a barrel, oh, yeah. which starts a fire, which I was like, oh, was that intentional? I don't know, but it plays off really well. I'm sure it was. So I was like, I Damn. I'm sure that was just foreshadowing. Yeah, so that's I really also good. took it as she's, she started a fire part of that and put it in the vent. That's true. Yeah, yeah, that makes sense. Yeah. She screams for him to let her go while she is kicking his hand. Oh, wait, I forgot to mention that he also uh, tells her to stay with him. Yeah. Uh, but she screams for him to let her go while she is kicking his hand back and forth, releasing pieces of carnage from his flesh. She gives him one good kick and he releases her. She makes it to, into the generator into the generator room, pulls in her suit to quickly pu- uh, put it on. We get a nice little glimpse of something be- being flammable behind her. She starts climbing up the ladder, uh, sprays the padlock on the door with the co2 and tries to whack it off but it doesn't come off michelle tries again until she finally gets it lifting the hatch watching it close back while uh she is outside this very much reminded me of the descent yeah oh for sure yeah yeah uh, i don't think you were there for that episode i was right, david i was not yeah initially the ending of the descent was very much like this um the way she comes out, not the the banging and all that whole other jazz. Besides the point, she is looking around outside for a moment and then goes over to Howard's truck and it is unlocked. She tries to get inside, and but uh, she rips her suit. She quickly drops uh, to the ground, wrapping the tape around the exposed slit. And I love how they do this, how they show the camera super close up on her yeah. face of panic. POV shots. Oh my yeah. gosh, it's beautifully done. Um, After that... After that is done, she catches her breath and then realizes that birds are flying in the sky. She pulls off the mask and starts to chuckle, uh, chuckle cry when she knows that the air is not contaminated. She hears something in the distance. Um, you know what's interesting, though? How do you really know just by pulling off your mask and you're just like assuming like, oh, I can smell when air is contaminated? That's a really good know. point. I, 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 know. I think she took a risk and I mean, she saw the birds, right? She, right. Yeah. She but how do you a, know how like quick these effects are and shit? Yeah, I, I thought the exact same thing. I feel I like... It, I would have I kept my ish on. I mean, we've been in the area where it's like smoke has Birds been a aren't big mammals, thing, right? though. That's true, yeah. But I feel like you can tell when the air is not right, I think. Because we've been in situations oh, where like there's been a lot of think, fires think here in California. Radiation, though. That's true. Think about Chermoya. Chermoya? What? Am I say, I'm actually saying it. Oh, Chernobyl. Chernobyl, Chernobyl? thank you. <laughs> Chernobyl is like, like the I'm like, the restaurant? <laughs> <laughs> Pretty good restaurant. Yeah, I'm thinking about it. I'm like, what happened? <laughs> Radiation? Yeah, Chernobyl. Yeah, no, definitely. Absolutely. I mean, and we're still That's very true. By that. Yeah. Oh, yeah. You can't see the air. So, I don't know, man. Uh, I wouldn't get my shit on. I'm just saying. She hears something in the distance, and it is an odd-looking ship. She is confused by it, um, by it, and it is short-lived when a muffled explosion can be heard from underground. Michelle gets down to take cover, then two more explosions are erupted off. Then this loud horn from the ship can be heard. With 
Oh man, that's so cool. Uh, she gets back to look up at the site, and the ship is flying quickly towards her, releasing these tentacles um, and then flying off. She lets out an oh come on while quickly <laughs> heading into the truck to find the keys. My same reaction. That. My same I love reaction. That. Now here's my question to you guys. Not knowing any of this shit, obviously, would you have just tried just by him seeing that first initial I guess woman, would you have just tried to just stay there? You mean the woman that was banging her head on the glass? Mm-hmm. Nah, no. I would have. I, you, you I, I'd be out. I'm, I very much like to believe that I am of the mindset of fighting till the very end. Fair, fair, yeah, fair enough. Yeah. I agree. I honestly, I do not know. <laughs> I do not know. I, I think I would have been too freaked out after I saw that woman. Be like, fuck that! I'm staying here. <laughs> <laughs> I'm staying here. I don't know. I mean, if she would have stayed, that'd be who knows what would happen, right? But we'll, we'll keep going. She can't find them, but she notices that the lady's car from earlier, Leslie, um, she knows Leslie's car from earlier. She runs to the car to try uh, to try the door, but it sounds off the alarm, getting the attention of a creature in the brush. Making a run towards the barn, locking herself in, she notices uh, Leslie on the crown, dead inside. And it's so interesting how dark it got outside yeah like so fast but i thought it was pretty beautifully done it's like i i would like to believe that she got out there right when the sun was setting me too michelle looks outside through a crack and notices something crawling around in the corn while the alarm is sounding off this creature moves the car causing her to fall back in terror knocking over some buckets she runs back to look and the creature starts peering um out from behind the car and this creature just looks interesting (laughs) Michelle springs into action frantically looking for the keys on the corpse. The creature bangs on the door and starts uh, walking above the barn and then uh, drops back down to the ground. She starts looking for the keys even quicker now. The creature is slowly coming in through the, uh, through the chicken door, but Michelle finds the keys and, st- and stops the alarm, causing the butthole creature to turn his attention <laughs> and leave. <laughs> she, leaves, uh, she leaves out uh, through the door. Uh, through the chicken door and starts uh, trying to make a run for it towards a house. The creature sees her, uh, sees her and is about to chase her, and she is calling for uh, for help for whoever may be inside because there is technically a light on um, inside the house. But the uh, loud foghorn goes off and a ship starts to float above, releasing green gas. Michelle uh, runs back into the other direction to put her mask on and tape herself uh, while the green mist covers the land, causing an explosion from the burning field. She gets up, uh, but that alien is still there. She immediately runs into the truck, trying to close the door, but the creature latches onto the door. The mouth begins to extend like a knockoff xenomorph and rips off her mask allowing michelle to close the door more rumbling around the earth and the truck is being pulled by another what's up Freddie? No, like no, yeah. <laughs> it's like damn this guy put in his notes a knockoff xenomorph that's hella funny that's hella funny i mean it i mean come on you know that's true <laughs> more, more rumbling around the earth and, tr- and the truck is being pulled by another monster inside the ship with tentacles M- michelle is about to accept defeat but she finds a lighter and her booze she grabs uh, some paper from a map sticks it inside the bottle lights it on fire chucks it inside the blowhorn causing the causing um her to come crashing down inside the car She's been in crashes before. She's fine. 
The creature slash ship hybrid. Um, oh, excuse me. Oh yeah, the creature slash uh, slash ship hybrid uh, comes crashing down, and she gets out of her car, trying to catch her breath, giving off the only the only allowed f bomb for a PG thirteen film. <laughs> she goes inside the other uh, goes inside the other in other car and starts driving, making it back on the road, knocking off, knocking off the uh, mailbox, showcasing the address ten Cloverfield Lane. Mm. She continues driving down the road and hears static come from the radio. She rips off her gloves and tunes into a woman on the radio saying that the military has taken back the seaboard. And if they are hearing this and aren't in a safe zone, head north of Baton Rouge. She continues saying if they have medical training or combat experience, they need help and that there are people still in Houston. She immediately slams on her brakes and the woman on the radio says that they are survivors at Mercy Hospital. Michelle starts to back up to look at at. A sign for Houston, while the woman repeats that they have taken back the southern seaboard and they are winning. Michelle turns turns down the road towards Houston, while lightning is showing off another ship in the distance. I then, love it. Credits. So good. I love it. I, I really want to add to that uh, last scene there that it's really Go beautiful it. because Michelle had a monologue when she was speaking to Emmett earlier about how um, because of her abusive past with her father – um, whenever she's confronted with anything complicated or you know something like abuse, she tends to she always runs away, panic right. and run. Yeah, and and this she feels she like went head on. Yeah, yeah, she she felt like she proved herself in this whole endeavor that she went through, and she has this confidence so cool. in herself to fight. And I, I think love that's that. Really, really well done. It's a really good message. I agree. It's a really good message. I definitely agree. Oh man, this movie! What a ride, y'all! So good. What Fan- a ride! Fantastic. And I gotta say, and I gotta appreciate the writing too, because of like, you know, the booze being the thing that saved her. It's like, that's the first thing we see in the opening shot. The guy brings up is like, oh yeah, I got all of your stuff. Too bad I couldn't bring up the the bottle. Just a little subtle (laughs) hints of like, everything is planned out. It's so nice. I love it. Absolutely. I love it too. But I got some movie facts for us here. Movie Movie facts? Marie? Or Mary um, uh, Elizabeth Winstead was the only choice for the role of Michelle. Oh, to him. Good. No one else. Did she, Good for her. Was yeah. she reached Good out? Did she audition? Do we know that? I doubt it. I I, I mean, I doubt I doubt that she had to um, audition. Yeah. She probably got reached out. That's really cool. Um, the name of the gas station Michelle st- um, stopped Hell at yeah. to refuel is named Kelvin. This is an Easter egg J.J. Abrams slips into um, all of his projects, a tribute to his maternal grandfather, Henry Kelvin, who owned an electronics company and influenced Abrams as a boy. It's a nod. Yeah. Love it. Love Huge it. nod and super Michelle's eight. network carrier. Oh, yeah. It's so good. Michelle's network carrier on her phone is BRT. This is, short- this is a shortened version of J.J. Abrams' production company, Bad Robot. <laughs> nice. Um. Michelle doesn't speak until 10 minutes into the film. Oh, wow. Uh, let's, let's, get, let's get a nice little juicy one. Because it's actually not that many, surprisingly. <clears throat> uh, here's a fun little one. This is actually a cameo. Uh, the person who provided the voice of, of her boyfriend, Ben, is Bradley Cooper. Whoa. Yes, it is. I actually did see that. <laughs> kind of crazy, yeah. right? That he would uh, be in a role where he's just... A voice. voice on a phone. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Oh, here's a here's a fan 
fantastic one. Mary Elizabeth Winstead drove a Volkswagen Bora in, in this film, which is the same identical car that she drove in Final Destination 3. Oh, damn. That's cool. It's oh, a nod. Fantastic. It's a nod. The first trailer for this film was screened before 13 Hours, 2006, a Michael Bay film. Um, mm. Or 2016, a Michael Bay film. Cloverfield has um, also had a, sec- a secretive production and marketing with its first trailer being released before Transformers, another Michael Bay film. Pretty cool. Interesting. That is pretty cool. Weird choice, yeah. but yeah. Super interesting. Yeah. Interesting. The trailer for the film attached to the theatrical release of 13 Hours was released and publicized only two months before the film's own U.S. theatrical release, an unusual short time for advertising and promo for a film released by a major studio. Man. Michelle's Car is Red, 2003 VW Jetta GLS uh, TDI sedan with automatic transmission and and a Pioneer DEH 2300RB uh, MOSFET 50 WX4 CD player uh, uh, slash car radio receiver. Whatever, but cool. <laughs> I thought you were speaking the alien language right there. <laughs> yeah, me too. I got to say, I love those drone shots where we're following her car in the intro of the film. Oh, yeah, those for sure. Me too. Love the music. Ah, so good. Yeah. All right, here's a good one. We're going to end it with this one right here, folks. On a featurette that appears on the Blu-ray for Tin Cloverfield Lane, one uh, one can briefly see a map of the Valencia bunker alongside a timeline of its construction. According to this timeline, in 1992, Howard um, and his pregnant wife moved to the farmhouse. By 1993, when their daughter Megan was six months old, Howard had built the airlock, the main exit staircase, the mud porch, his bedroom slash bathroom, and an and an adjoining room denoted as original second escape. By 1999, when Megan was six years old, Howard had built the main space, the kitchen, the original generator room, and a second bathroom that is, uh, quote, used as storage, end quote, by the time of the movie. By 2008, when Megan was 15, he had added the new generator room, which connects to the main area via the duct that Michelle crawls through. The current second uh, escape, where she finds Brittany's blood, bloody earrings, the storage ha- um, hallway, Michelle's room, and Kyle's nook, uh, which on the map corresponds uh, with where Michelle first meets Emmett, suggests his character um, name was once Kyle. In 2010, in 2010, Howard's wife and 17-year-old daughter left him. Um, in 2012, uh, is uh, denoted with the words Megan Prime, uh, presumably referring to Howard's abduction of Brittany. The timeline concludes in the year 2015. The words, now Megan is 22 and in college, are left on the page. Damn, you gotta love that attention to detail. Seriously. Seriously, oh man! You know what? Let's do one more. Let's. Uh, this one is uh, going to refer to uh, the Bold Fratura. A letterheaded scene with Bold Fratura and uh, Tagaratu um, incorporated on it. This is a tie. This is tied directly with the film's viral marketing campaign and Cloverfield as Slusho and Bold Fratura as subs- uh, subsidiaries of the fictional company. Uh, Tagaroto. Howard worked with satellites for Bold Futura in this film. Rob was going to Japan to work as the vice president of marketing for Slush Show. Right. Ah, so good tie-ins. Love that tie-in. Oh, man. Oh, man. Oh, man. 
Well, let us know, everybody, what you think of 10 Cloverfield Lane over on Twitter at GoodNightLife, and that's Night with a K. Okay. But our next movie that we will be discussing is It Comes at Night. I'm very excited to revisit this movie. I've only seen it once. Was it the biggest fan? Same. So I'm excited to see it. Oh, you are too? Yeah. First, uh, like you, like I've only seen, I, I only saw it once and I appreciated it, but I was not entertained, sure. I believe. But, you know, yeah, I will, I'll find out again. I'm excited to watch it. But this was Nightlight, a horror movie podcast. I was one of your hosts, Prince, also known as Head Knight. Alongside me, we had David. Stay spoopy, everyone. Spoopy tired boys. <laughs> also known as Nightly. On the other end there we have Freddy. Always keeping it spoopy. Our, also known as Nighty Night. Our efforts to get this shot is not enough. We need your help to spread us out to more ghoulish nights. Rating us with five stars is very helpful, but we would love for you to recommend this podcast to someone who would actually enjoy it. You can further support the show over at patreon.com forward slash goodnightlife and that's night with a what? Okay. By pledging on Patreon, you have access to the show ad-free and as early as Monday. If you don't have any bucks to toss, don't worry. A new episode is released every Friday on most podcast services around the world. And remember, everybody, don't forget your nightlife.